Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. A proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com. How you doing, Rob? Hawkeye! <laughs> what the hell was that? Now, I realize that that's actually the catchphrase of the Blackhawks, which are not in this issue, but I'm just so excited to be talking about the Hawk characters in this issue of Who's Who that I decided to use the incorrect catchphrase. I still don't even know what you said. Hawka. That was their thing. They would yell that. Hawk uh and then like a bunch of A's at the end. Really? I oh, thought that was shag. like the little the little guy from Omega Men that would hang around and uh, shag, shag, shag. <laughs> I've never read Blackhawks, so Yeah, I know. But it's not all Doctor I, Who. I'm what's that? Not all Doctor Who. I'm excited about covering some of these age characters. I think it's gonna be fun. There's some good ones in here. There's a couple duds. But overall, uh this is a fun issue. <laughs> In case you hadn't figured it out, folks, yes, we are on the H's in our Who's Who uh, excitement. We're on issue number 10. So, um, so you're going to set your way back machine, folks, for September 19th, 1985. Thank you to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that. Now, just to give you some perspective, Crisis on Infinite Earths number 9 was on the shelves. And number 10 was about two weeks away. So, okay, number 10 is the game changer. Remember? Number 10 is where, you know, uh, everything's, sorry, spoiler, 30 years later, uh, all the multiverses are destroyed and it recreated into one. So we are just one hop, skip, jump away from pretty much half these who's who entries not making sense anymore. And it's been smooth sailing in the DC universe ever since. <laughs> well, folks, if this is your first time listening to a who's who podcast, Why? just to give you a little back. Well, I know. Why? Exactly. What's wrong with you? These things are... It's who's who? Everyone loves who's All who. the Heat Wave fans are finally tuning in. Exactly. They're, they're like, finally, I can hear about Helix from <laughs> Infinity, Inc. So, uh, it was a 26-issue series that originally intended to be 24, but it celebrated the 50th anniversary of DC Comics and did, as I mentioned, Crisis on Earth ran parallel to that. Now, it's an alphabetical listing, and they've got amazing jam covers full of all the characters and no advertisements. I know I say this every month, but I really mean it. If I could buy a 32-page comic for a dollar with no ads, I'd be so happy right now. So, anyway, our goal is that as we go through the Who's Who issue, hopefully you will not need to have the comic in front of you. We're going to try and describe them well enough so that you can just enjoy it, you know, driving your car, jogging. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, any of that stuff. And what we'll do, <laughs> what we'll do is uh, we're going to take... Scans of maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 of these images, and we're going to put them up on our Tumblr. Rob, what's that Tumblr site? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There you go. So, folks, you can go check those out. I know a lot of folks have started to visit the Tumblr and starting to see some of these who's who entries, and they're fun, you know? We're going to pick out the ones that we kind of focus on the most. Now, as we get into the entries, we're going to talk about people's uh, personal data, which is going to be like their alter egos, occupations, marital status, height, weight, all that stuff, their first appearances. And in the drawings themselves... Now, if you've never seen a Who's Who entry, what you get is in the foreground, you get the character in full color. 
really cool drawings by amazing plethora of artists. And then in the background is a single color, uh, which could be called color hold, or uh, as we like to call it, the surprint. There's some debate on whether that's an accurate term or not, but we don't care. It's part of our lexicon. And anyway, in the Let background, those other have... who's who podcasts use the right terminology. <laughs> right, exactly. Step off our, our pitch, folks. Anyway, in the background, you're, one of the things you'll see, you'll see a close-up of the character's face without their mask. And then you'll see some images sort of describing their origin or their history or some of the key elements of the character. You're also going to get uh, around the borders of every page are the yellow dots, the infamous Neil Posner yellow dots that uh, demonstrate the color process in comics. So, And do we get a pronunciation key this issue? I hadn't checked. No, no we don't. We're, so we're on our own. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time trying to figure out how to pronounce Hawk. So, anyway, um, if, if this is your first time and you're looking for some back episodes of the show, you can check the Fire and Water podcast feed on iTunes, or, because there's only a limited number there, you can pull all the Who's Who episodes. We have a, a blog spot site where you can pull all of those. And, Rob, what's that blog spot site? Fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. Yep. And I think you can find all, all of our stuff on Stitcher. Is that right? Yes, our episodes are on Stitcher as well. Woohoo! Awesome. So, with that, uh, I want to take a second to say, you know, folks, um, we want to give thanks to our sponsors. Yeah, we got to pay some Instead bills of, here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Fire and Water Podcast and the Who's Who Podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades, which is your best source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. Check this out, folks. All for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, I wanted to take a second to give a shout-out to uh, – and one that's sort of relevant to this issue. It's the GI Combat Trade Paperback, Volume 1, War That Time Forgot. This is, uh, this is from the New 52, so it's the recent versions of the War That Time Forgot in GI Combat. But in it is – yeah, check it out – Haunted Tank. Yes, love me some Haunted Tank. They're going to get mentioned in this episode of Who's Who as well. And come on, it's got dinosaurs fighting American soldiers. It really doesn't get any better than that. I mean – when it comes down to, like, if you're like a seven-year-old and you're talking with your friends, who would win in a fight, army or dinosaurs? That's just, that's a perfect combination, right? <laughs> I never, had, sort of I never had any of those kinds of conversations when I was a kid. I, I don't know. It's like, it's the mentality where I still live. You know, dinosaurs versus soldiers. You know, there's explosions and monsters. I love it. Anyway, you can pick up GI Combat Trade Paperback Volume 1, War the Time Forgot, from New Stock, uh, from In Stock Trades. You can get it for 10 Ninety-nine. It's 45% off. It originally goes, or normally goes for nineteen ninety-nine. It's 240 pages. You got some great stuff by Justin Gray, Ariel Olive. I can never say this guy's name. Ariel Olivetti? Yes. And Howard Chaikin. I mean, it's awesome. You also get Unknown Soldier in there, too. It's a bonus. Uh, yeah, and I would like to recommend a little, not, not a comic book, but a book about comics, The Hawkman Companion by a friend of the show, Doug Zawizza. Uh, he wrote a book for Tomorrow's that chronicles the history of Hawkman from the beginning. And let me read a little uh, summary here. Instantly recognizable among comic fans, Hawkman is one of the most iconic heroes ever created. Inspired by tales as old as mankind and those much more recent, this four-color legend has left an indelible mark upon the comic industry. Uh, it comes with a beautiful cover by Cliff Chang, and it features um, art and some commentary by Joe Kuber, Jeff John, Shelley Moldoff, Tim Truman, Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, Greg Morales, Stephen Sadowski, Don Kramer, Ben Robb, many, many more. Uh, it also does feature a brief contribution by me, and I am thanked in the credits, but that's not why I'm recommending the book. Um, it's, it's genuinely a lot of fun. If you're a Hawkman fan, you'll love it. Uh, Doug really does know his stuff, and it's just, you know, it's a lot of fun just like trip hammering through 
Hawkman's, you know, like 60 year history all in this book. And you can get that on in stock trades right now for only fourteen ninety seven, which is an incredible deal. It's worth it for the cover alone. The cover by Cliff Chang is simply gorgeous. So uh, check that out if you like Hawkman. How much of a discount is that one? Uh, 40%. Sweet. Awesome. So remember that, folks. You get big discounts and free shipping for orders over 50 bucks at InStockTrades.com. All right. Let's do this. All right. Who's so. who? Book 10. Woo! Uh, the cover, of course, is by Paris Collins, Dick Giordano. This is an incredibly crowded cover. Uh, I don't know if that's—I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah, is. because Paris made the figures a little bigger, or there were just many more figures to cram in. But this is one hell of a scene. Uh, there aren't, there isn't a lot of fighting going on. Basically, everybody's just sort of standing around and moving. There's a little bit of squabbles here and there, not too much. It does kind of look like Hawkman, uh, the the uh, Silver Age Hawkman, who was of course the main character on this cover. It looks like he's about to hit Halo with his mace. Uh, <laughs> he's not, but that's what it looks like. Um, my only complaint about this cover at all is that the Hawk women, Hawk Girl and Hawk Woman, are kind of like not that prominent. I mean, Hawk Girl, uh, the Earth One Hawk Girl, is right in the front and her wing is like huge, but she's kind of off, off to the bottom. I would have liked to have seen her and Carter flying together, but you may have. Um, her name's Hawk. Her name's Hawk Woman. Oh yeah, Hawk. Okay, I grew up with her as Hawk Girl. Um, got, what, what's going on with her earring there? Keep, is that just a shine? Yeah, yeah. Those are just big shiny disc earrings. That's a. a, a, a New Star Trek lens flare? Yeah, this is J.J. Abrams was brought in to do this cover. Uh, anyway, it's a lot of fun, and uh, you can see there's just a whole lot of things going on uh, inside this issue. Uh, I, li- I like uh, the High Father's face. He's got a really big High Father face there in the bottom left corner. It looks really sharp. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it is kind of a... It, I'm really torn on the cover, because, like, in some ways, I really, really enjoy it. But other ways, again, it suffers from it, an ink job that was probably done a little too fast. You know, you, you get a lot of cool characters. You see that but every issue. Unfortunately, it's the same inker every issue. Yeah, I know, but you know. Uh, and and another interesting thing is they're pissing on the man's grave. I'm not trying to, dude. He and is. And yet Dick you're Giordano. doing it. Dick Giordano is a god. Okay, I'm just saying that he was probably really freaking busy right, right now and didn't have enough time so to do this. So let it cover. go for one month for the love. So of maybe me. he could. Maybe he could have stepped aside and let someone else ink it because he's so busy doing amazing other things too. Anyway, <sighs> you, I swear. Anyway, one thing though is that I thought about this: is everyone sort of moving to the right, and yet they still look kind of static, like. Our man is one of the few people I feel like I see action happening in him. Yeah, there is some forward motion. Gypsy's moving, Hercules is moving, Harbinger is moving. They still look kind of static, though. Mm-hmm. They don't. But in, but if you look at our man, I really feel like he is he is in motion. Yes, you know he looks great. Yes. In fact, so and uh, I love the Hercules character. I just think he looks so boss. He's great. You know, he looks so awesome. What are the giant crystal things? Are they, is that supposed to represent the hive? Maybe. Uh. You know, yes, I believe so, because I looked dead. Like at first, I, at first I thought Cole was in this issue, and I'm like, no, no, she's not. Yes, I think that's and what that is. I do like. Uh, I really like the ghost. Uh, what's his name? The um, Jeb, Jeb Stewart. Jeb Stewart. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Over haunted tank. So there's there's a lot of neat things to like about this cover, but there's some other things that are just kind of. Huh. But it does make sense having Halo, Hawkman, and Gypsy right there on the cover, because you know you get your outsiders, you get. You know, your your Hawkman is a classic character. You get Justice League represented by Gypsy. Ugh. So, yeah. 
<laughs> God. <laughs> well, she is. I you know. know at this, I know. At this Just, point, you know, she was JLA. Oh, boy. So. All right. Uh, <laughs> on the inside cover, we have the letters page. Uh, as Shag mentioned, there's no pronunciation, so we're on our own here. Uh, Michael Cleveland sends in a letter that I think our, our faithful fan Frank will enjoy. Uh, he's taking DC and Len Wein specifically to task for leaving out characters. And he says, and how about Bell Jews, who started the Earth Mars, Earth Mars War, or Erg Master from DC Comic Presents number 79? Uh, and Mr. Ween's response is, we don't intentionally hear heroes or villains out of the book, but sometimes sacrifices must be made for space considerations. There are far too many villains who have appeared only once to include them, such as Bell Jews or Erdmaster. So, sorry, Frank, no Bell Jews for you. You want to know what my theory is? Michael Cleveland? I think it's another pseudonym for Diablo Frank. Entirely possible. Does say no address Cause, given. Because there's, there's no, well, they can't list the asylum. But there's no possible way there's two people asking for a Bell Jews entry. It's just there's no possible way. I think Michael Cleveland is our, in fact, Diablo Frank. That would be amazing now, if that was true. Do you see who wrote the first letter? Phil Jimenez. Look at that. Is that the Phil I'm, Jimenez? I don't know. We should ask we him. Really but it seems, to, it seems to me like how many guys named Phil Jimenez are into DC Comics, you know? That's a good question. We'll have to yeah. So I'm thinking it's probably him. Interesting. I didn't even notice that. I mean, I saw the name, but it didn't really click on me, but you're right. Good thing. I like uh, Someone did ask about, a couple of episodes ago, you may recall, we talked about in issue number eight, there was just a giant white blank space. And a guy named Daniel Tobias wrote in about it. And he, he asked about that. I like how he said here, come to think about it, this is the only letters page I've seen in years that does not have anything from T.M. Maple. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember that was a real big letter hack. Oh, he then. was huge. Yes, he was yep. huge. So anyway, they went on and just basically said that they uh, they didn't have any room there. I mean, there was nothing uh, to po- post that month. So anyway, they said they'd be tickled to death if they had more letters. Oh, Crazy. retroactively, I want to go back and write letters then. I'm sorry. I know. Well, I wonder if we'd write them to them now. What would happen? <laughs> hmm. They'll be ignored just like everything else that we do in the DC Universe. Ouch. Anyway, well, on that nice note, let's get into the issue proper. Uh, we still have a couple of Gs to, to clean up here before the H's begin. We have... Gunner and Sarge from Our Fighting Forces, the members of the Losers, uh, drawn by William Ray, a.k.a. Bill Ray. Uh, very nice piece. I don't think I'm familiar with Bill Ray inking too much of his own stuff. I could be wrong, but I really like this piece. Uh, it's, it's a nice, you know, it's, it's a double listing. Obviously, they realized, you know, Sarge, they weren't going to give Sarge his own listing, so they just paired him up with Gunner here. And then they've got the dog flying in with the, uh, holding the, the dynamite, which is, <laughs> seems very scary to me. But it's, it's a very nice illustration, very dynamic they're shooting their guns out at the audience, and it's flying out out of the borders. It's uh, very, very, very cool. Well, the interesting thing is it's sort of a, a three-way entry, really, because I think Pooch had his own adventures for a while. Did he? Uh, well, he says that they said that Pooch left them for a while, and they came back. <laughs> Pooch left them for a while. So, I mean, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm misreading this, but I believe, I believe that's what happened. I think Pooch had his own adventures. So, anyway, I'd never heard of these guys until I read this entry. Um, I don't, like, it, it's interesting. This issue, I have no recollection of reading this as a kid. I must, this must be one of the ones I got later and backfilled in or something. But I don't remember Gunner and Sarge until I read it. Now, I got to say, in the background, that image of the Japanese soldier yeah. laughing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That is so racist. But... Typical of propaganda posters of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a little uh, <laughs> you know on the uh, stereotype side there. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. 
Um, so. Gunner and Sarge possessed various commando skills that served them well in the losers. They are both highly effective hand-to-hand combatants. Good to know. So, interesting stuff. I love Pooch's face. It, it, Pooch's face looks like a human being. It is a very, <laughs> it is a very, 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 very specific face for a dog. That's true. It really is. It looks kind of like a Joe Staten face, actually. But uh, yeah, yeah William, funny, William Ray stuff was not. Yeah, William Ray stuff looked a bit like uh, Joe Staten. Oh really? Okay. And it's interesting that Gunner gets his name because he carries a submachine gun. Well, so does Sarge. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of like I don't. Okay. Well, whatever. Gunner and Gunner Two wouldn't do anything. So it's Gunner and Sarge. Electric uh, Gunner Two, Electric Boogaloo. And uh, I, I like that it's tied to the losers. The losers always interest me because I've never actually read a single comic with the losers. So anytime I see there's a connection, it's it's interesting to me. It's almost like it was the Justice League of War comics because they took together a bunch of characters that were already being published. And put them on a team, right? Mm, I, th- yeah, I think so. I should know. That's, I that's should how, know that. I don't. Well, based on reading this, that's what it sounds. Yeah, like. Yeah, I think so. they did because Captain Storm was his own thing, had his own book beforehand. So yeah, because there's Captain Storm, there's Haunted Tank, um, there's Johnny Cloud. So okay. anyway, okay. Uh, next is uh, Gipsy, a member of the Ugh. Justice League. Hey, because n- you don't have there's no pronunciation. You don't have a pronunciation yeah, there's guide. no pronunciation key. I have no idea. Uh, Gyps, gypsy for you at home. Oh, okay. It's like that Fleetwood Mac song. Uh, the art is by Chuck Patton and Bob Smith. Uh, no one loves Chuck Patton more than me. This is not the greatest listing in the world. It's a little dull on the layout, uh, I would say. Um, but what? I, I think the layout's a little dull. I do. I love it. Okay. Well, this is the era of the material girl, Madonna, right? And she's standing there looking all Madonna-ish, hands on her hip, you know, hips kind of cocked. Barefoot, one foot pointing. She looks great. She looks great. And then the logo is this cool patchwork-looking logo. And up above her is everything sort of skewed at an angle where she's, you know, blending in with a wall. And you see these machine guns coming in your foreground. You can't even see the bad guys. I think it's a nice-looking picture. Okay. All right. I just think the layouts is not that great. That's all. I, I, I like all the elements. I just feel they've been arranged in a slightly different way. And I think Chuck Patton's wife probably loves him more than you do. I said I love Chuck Patton's work. I don't remember the word work. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> oh, maybe that was a Freudian slip. Uh, you know, when you think about it, Gypsy would make a great uh, girlfriend for Ragman. Kind of, yeah, actually. Yeah, that they would could, work. They could just, you know, use their little uh, hand-stitched clothes together. They could, uh, you know, it would be great. Go to thrift stores. It would be awesome. Ooh, or she could be a new Ragman. <laughs> that's what the world needs. Next no, is... No, she, uh, she could be the new 52 Ragman. Again, that's what the world needs is another Ragman. Next, we're moving on? Yes, we're moving on. Uh, no, we're not. Oh, so no, no, we're not. This is why so, the show is so long. Who cares? Get it? Who's who? Who cares? The, the people come to hear this stuff. This is this is. Oh, anyway, so J- Gypsy was a hallmark of the um, Justice League Detroit era. For those of you who aren't terribly familiar with it, she was. Here, here's the crazy thing: the way she came into the league was kind of interesting. She's first of all on the Justice League, and she's a 15 year old girl. Which is mind blowing that they would let actively, you know, let an active fifteen-year-old girl on the team. Firestorm's only sixteen or seventeen, but people don't know that. Her, there's no denying that she's this teenage kid, and she's just basically sort of hanging around the Justice League Detroit folks. And eventually, they're like, "Ah, yeah, why not? Come on, join the team." Sure, which just blows my mind. Kitty Pride, I get because it's a school for training people. This one, I don't get. 
So anyway, um, she's got the patchwork clothes. Eventually, she would get costumes and stuff. But she has she has really interesting powers because she is a chameleon of sorts. She doesn't turn invisible, but she just blends in with her surroundings. And I like here they make they make a point of saying um, somewhere about like if she moves too quickly. The blending camouflage gives her a real bizarre appearance, which is kind of interesting. And then they talk a little bit about her mental powers, which were sort of burgeoning. We're just coming up at this point and um, kind of freaking people out. Yeah, they did a little bit of that in Justice League, and then they, they, you know, the whole book ended before she had a chance to really show that off. Yeah. Okay, you may move oh, on. Thank you. You know what? I'm the one guiding this episode. You know, we talked about it, and yet you're the one who's deciding when we move on. It's interesting. Well, here's what I was thinking about. It's like a lot of times we'll talk about characters on the show. Yeah. And we don't talk about, like, who they are. Everyone like, already what... knows who they are. Not everyone knows who Gypsy is. Chad Bokelman wasn't even born. <laughs> Hell, he, was, he wasn't even born when she appeared in Birds and Prey a couple years ago. Okay. But, um, so I, I think, uh, you know, we should take a moment to kind of put the character in perspective for people. Okay. Can we go on now? Page three. Sure. Thank you, boss. Okay. Uh, Halo from Batman and the Outsiders. Uh, this, drawn by Jim Aparo, of course, uh, I, I like this entry quite a bit. Uh, like most of the members of the Outsiders, there's not a lot to say. So there's just a tiny little text piece and a very, very big piece of art. I love in the color hole, Sir Print slash whatever, that shot of Gabby in the background there in, in her normal street clothes. There's something about that pose I just find very interesting and different and kind of lifelike. I, I really like it. I mean, I love Jim Aparo, of course. But uh, I think there's a nice piece. And we see her squ- fight, uh, squaring off against, I forget the name, one of these Batman and the Outsiders villains. I forget the name of the guy. But we see You him. can tell who that dude is? I can't. Now, I, I forget. I remember I saw him. He was like in one of the first four or five issues of Batman and the Outsiders. But I'm blanking on his name. Uh, and then they mention the powers and weapons. They go into specifics about what her different colors of her powers do. we got... Uh, red or heat blast, orange is force blast, yellow is brilliant light, green is a stasis beam, blue is distortion effect, indigo is a tractor beam, it's good for the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> and violet is unknown. Dun, 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 dun. It's, a, it's a really nice listing. It's, um, you know, I, I've said different things about Apar over the years, some stuff I really love by him, some stuff I'm not too thrilled. Uh, again, for the record, I love Aparo. It's just in the mid to late 80s, he was not you know, at 100% of his game. This one looked great. Yes. Really nice image. Uh, I like she's got some curves. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like her, her, her top makes it impossible to tell, you know, that dimension of her figure. But she's definitely got hips there. And, uh, you know, you need a curvy girl every so often. So it's good. I like it. I think she's hot. I love her shorter hairstyle. At the, when I was a kid, I didn't like it when they cut her hair off. In fact, they show her in the background with her long blonde hair. That was kind of one of her things that you always knew she was. She had the long, pretty blonde hair, and then she cut it short. And as a kid, I was like, nah. But now I think it looks great. She looks really sort of adorable and strong, you know, with her short hair. It's one of the things that... Just... Go ahead. One of the things I liked about Batman and the Outsiders was that Mike W. Barr allowed these characters to, like, enjoy things in pop culture that you didn't see a lot in comics. And there was an issue of Batman and the Outsiders where it's her birthday, and somebody gets her a Late Night with David Letterman t-shirt. And she's like, I love this show. And it's like, you really didn't see that in, t- in comics, like where, you know, characters interacted with pop culture. You know, you never saw Superman going to see a movie or anything like that. So I was one of the things I really liked about The Outsiders is that, you know, Gabby was in many ways a teenage girl and she enjoyed, you know, she had like her Walkman. And, you know, it was it, those are fun little details that I thought made the characters come to life, which is why I like that book. And I still like it, despite what Siskoid says. 
<laughs> and we'll talk more on that soon. But uh, I, you know, I go back to though, you know, high school girl. Because first of all, she's a high school student. Okay, another young kid on a superhero team, which is weird. She shouldn't be staying up that late to watch David Letterman. She should have been in bed. Anyway, uh, here's one of the things that really bothers me about her entry as I'm reading it, because I didn't, I didn't read Batman and the Outsiders. I've got the showcase sitting on my shelf with an inch of dust on it because I haven't started reading it yet. I've always meant to. And actually, I think I own the first 12. I just never read them. Anyway, dude, she's possessed. Yes. Like, the, the little girl's sort of, like, dead, kind of. Uh, it says she was murdered by an assassin named Cyanide, and then the sentient life force took over her body. It's like, how sad is that? <laughs> it's a dead teenage girl with a weird spirit inside of her. Ooh, creepy. Just saying. Okay. All right. You had time to develop to deal with these issues. I mean, you've been around for 30 years. Again, I didn't read her stuff. Okay. Again, and I don't remember this issue very well. Okay. Uh, I, by the way, I love the logo. The logo reminds me of a charm bracelet or something that you would get in the 70s. Uh, like a uh, ooh, on, that's true. Keep on trucking or something like that. It just has that kind of hippy-dippy vibe to it. I, I, I enjoy, keep on trucking. I enjoy it very much. Now, here's a weird art thing. You notice she's got her little halo around her, right? But it's sort of forming into the other one in the serpent. Nice. That's right. I don't think I ever noticed it, that. And, in fact, the serpent image, I think he always intended for that to be in color, actually. Because if you look at her hand, there's a, a white section around mm. there that's intended for color. Oh, Either, true, I, I, think, yeah. I think no one told um, Jim that this was going to be a single color on the back. Or he expected both those figures to be in color. I think, yeah, I think maybe somebody in production messed up because Jim Apparel didn't make mistakes. That's true. Here we go. Uh, next, Harbinger from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, alter Ego Lila, no, no known last name. Occupation, occupation Associate. Uh, she, Interesting. She was basically the Monitor's right-hand woman during the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, creation of Mark Wolfman and George Perez. And it's drawn by George Perez, and of course that means it's beautiful. Hell yeah, it is. Can I just say, Harbinger's hot. What a shocking turn Can of I events. I just did. I just did. I, I, there's some interesting things in here. Now, I'm noticing this in some of uh, – is Mike W. Barr a writer? I mean, not Mike. Um, is Marv Wolfman a writer on this one? Yes, he is. Okay. Because it seems like I've noticed in some Marv Wolfman entries, like, we learn a little more about the character than we did in the comic. Like, here, I learned something that I – unless it's in Crisis and I don't remember it, I learned something that I didn't remember from Crisis. It says that whenever she made dupes – um, the more dupes she made, the weaker they were. I don't remember that from the comic. No, I do don't know. I don't recall that. So I'm starting to wonder uh, if that's, you know, sort of thing he would he added here. So um, great art. Just absolutely amazing. I, it's interesting. They, they mention Monitor, and they say see Monitor 1. So that made me jump forward to go look at the M issues. And sure enough, the way they did it is it's not actually Monitor 1 and, and the Anti-Monitor being Monitor 2. It's just under Monitor they're both listed. That's right. I remember that was weird. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's because it was you know they missed the, their shot at the A book. So they got a and, – and at one point, he what, the Anti-Monitor was referred to just as the Monitor. is just his opposite number. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. So – but anyway, um, gorgeous piece. Absolutely gorgeous. The Serpent – you get Lila, and all the harbingers are shooting off from her. You can see the satellite, and you can see her floating in the waves, that iconic shot of her floating in the waves on that piece of driftwood or whatever it was. So it's cool. Yeah. I love it. Very nice. Uh, next up, the Harlequin, not Harley Quinn, 
from Batman in the animated series. The Harlequin, which was a Green Lantern villain from First Appearance, All-American Comics number 89. So she goes way back. Uh, she was a villain who later become, who later sort of retired and ended up marrying Alan Scott Green Lantern. Woo! Uh, as, it, as it says here, hair red, now gray. Aww. <laughs> well, she's like 90 gajillion years old. I mean, you know. Ninety gajillion. How did how did DC uh, ever reconcile the JSA staying young while some of their family did not? How did they ever do that? Did anybody know? Because um, like the JSA kept young through the Rag, Ragnarok thing, but that means no, that, no, they, no, they stayed young because Ian Clark cool. Both, though. yeah, but okay, but all right, you're right, you're right. But then they fought forever in the Ragnarok thing, and that one special. Sure, but just every time you read one of these Suzu entries, they're going to mention Ian Carcool, and they do in this book too. That's why I always harp on it. So, right. um, you know, at one point they said the wives stayed young for or youngish for some reason. I can't remember what it was. Hmm. It's because they're all hot. Now, now, one thing you haven't mentioned: who drew this? Oh, I didn't. You're right. I'm sorry. I uh, should have mentioned that. Uh, Martin O'Dell and Dick Giordano. Woo! And who's Martin O'Dell? The original creator of Green Lantern. That's right. I think this entry was a consolation prize to him since he didn't get to draw Alan Scott. Hmm. Interesting. Because the character's not really that important. Now, she, she at this time, she was popping up around Infinity, Inc. And because of... Uh, Jade and Obsidian and all that stuff. She came around, but I, I, she, I don't know if she really merited a page at this point. I don't know. Maybe she did. Either way, I still think this is a consolation prize to Marty Nodell since they got someone else to draw Alan Scott. Could be. Yeah, so. it was very nice to, to bring him back. That really, really was very cool. You know, that's part of this series was about DC's long history, and that's you know that's hell, uh, that, that's part of the point is to get one of these older guys that was there at the beginning of the the company's day. So it's nice. Now, the costume design is really ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, she's got she, she's got the trickster's pants on, uh, the toy man from Super Friends shoes. She's got a tutu, and she's wearing a ridiculous pointed hat, which makes her look sort of bald. Um, it's it's really and she's carrying that's right her action mandolin, <laughs> which she's using to clobber someone in the surprise. I would have made a great superpowers figure. Now, the sad part to this to me is. This is Molly, by the way, who I, I never think of her as Harlequin. I think of her as Molly, Alan Scott's wife. And I love Alan and Molly. They're the sweet older couple. They're great. The sad part to me is now, no matter what, in the new 52, Alan and Molly will never be together. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's not a dig against the choice they made with Alan Scott. I'm fine with the choice they made there. It just makes me sad we'll never have Alan and Molly together because I really like them as a couple. So, And this pointed something out to me as I was reading through this. Because um, I started flipping around, I'm like, wait a minute, Harlequin, Harlequin. There was a, there was two Harlequins, and I'm not talking about Harley Quinn. No, there was the there, other one, the member of the Teen Titans. Yeah, Duella Dent. Yes. Oh. And I did a little research. She never made it into Who's Who at all. No. Nope. There's a la- there's a letter later on that addresses that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I forget I forget where it comes, but somebody says, "What about uh, Harley Harlequin, a- aka Two Face's daughter, and uh, Riddler's daughter, Joker's Riddler's daughter. daughter?" Right, and and. The letter, whoever responds, I guess we should just get into it when we get into it. But anyway, the, the, whoever responds is something like, well, she recently showed up in New Teen Titans number 50, uh, where Dick Grayson, you know, realizes that she's too old to be the daughter of Two-Face. And she basically says, you know, tut, tut, Dick, it took you that long to figure that out. Batman would not be pleased. And she walks away. 
And they, <laughs> yeah, it was a great little moment. And the editor, basic of Husu, basically concedes that she's never going to be seen again. So they're not going to bother. Which I remember people saying that she had sort of like knocked her own way out of continuity. But if you look at her appearances, she keeps appearing over and over and over. People keep bringing her back. So I, I thought she would kind of disappear too, but I forgot how many times she did appear. So, anyway. Next up, Harlequin. Harlequin. That was fun. Okay. Uh, next up is Harpies or Harpies. I'm not sure. You, you, I, it feels like it should be Harpies, but that's the plural, and this isn't plural, so I'm not sure. I guess maybe it's Harpies. Anyway, uh, member of the Omega Men, uh, drawn by Sean McManus and Bob Smith. Uh, we see uh, in the Serpent the most gruesome part of her history, where this bounty hunter, not Lobo, the other one, I forget the name of the guy. It says it here somewhere. Uh, ripped off her wings. Uh, and in the in here, as drawn by Sean McManus, it it looks bad, but it looked worse in the comic because it was drawn in a more sort of quote unquote serious style in the comic. And it just, oh, I still remember that. It was just awful. Just, it just you just felt like, oh God, it's just a terrible, gruesome thing to to undergo. Bedlam. Bedlam, Bedlam, that's him. Yeah, yeah, um, But it's a nice drawing. I mean, Sean McManus is a great artist. I like the logo. Um, uh, we see her in her previous form before she got mutated, and she's, you know, kind of a hot alien babe there in the background. Um, mm-hmm. Both her and her sister, Demonia, suffered some ignominious fates, unfortunately. Were, um, and she, uh, do you, see, you know who they were changed by? Who was it? Blackfire. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Starfire's sister. Starfire's I was kind of close. Like, oh, that's a that's a nice little tie-in. Yeah. The thing that freaks me out about this is she's um she's like a demon. First of all, by the way, Sean McManus draws great-looking demons. He really does. Yeah. Like he did he did some in the Doctor Fate series as well. I mean, he really does like little demon faces. Awesome. Anyway, she's sort of wearing like lingerie, which is like a little creepy. <laughs> you know, it's like demon in, in lingerie just doesn't work for me. So. And it's another Omega Men entry that gets a full page, and it's like, really? I, I'm, I'm starting to feel the same way as some of the, the letter writers who write in and kind of say, I don't see why Omega Men get a full page. I mean, when I say letter writers, I mean letter writers to our show. Um, I'm kind of starting to agree with you guys on that. I'm kind of I'm kind of well, over them. I mean, it was now, a current book. It's fair to mention, I forgot about this. The, I don't know if you know this, Rob. Uh, an abomination has occurred. Uh, in, in Deathstroke, when Rob Liefeld was running it, he brought the Omega Men back. I did not know but that. They're, but they're like the Omega Men's kids. Okay. And just like, I, I, it left a bad taste even in my mouth for the characters. And I, and I have no feelings for these guys whatsoever. Wow. So, yeah. And I'm really shocked that you did not mention one of your favorite things about Who's Who entries height, five foot six, <laughs> not and counting wings. wings. <laughs> I love that stuff. I do love that stuff. I just love whoever's job it was to sneak those little, those little comments in there. Okay. Uh, next up, The Haunted Tank. Drawn by Sam Glansman, great artist from Sam, Sam, Sam Glansman. Uh, and then we see Jeb Stewart, Lieutenant Jeb Stewart, and the other characters, Corporal Arch Asher, Sergeant Bill Craig, Private Eddie Craig, Corporal uh, Gus Gray, Private Rick Rollins, and Corporal Slim Stryker, great name. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I know Sam Glansman drew G.I. Combat for a while. Um, he didn't draw these first. Did he draw a lot of Haunted Tank ones? I wasn't really uh, sure. I don't. I don't know if he drew a lot of Haunted Tank. He did a lot of DC War comics. Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, this is a great entry. It's very sort of moody, you know, with the with the ex- it looks like an explosion going on behind the tank. So that big burst up in the air. 
but it looks great. Mm-hmm. I, I love the tank. Now, the Jeb, the, the giant image of Jeb looks great. And what a logo. I know. That logo's great. That really is. You can see Absol- the, uh, through the through the letters and the, and the word haunted, you can see the tank coming through in the through the background, which is a very nice effect and not something you generally saw too much in comics. Yep, and, the, and then the word tank is riveted, like got rivets, yep. so really nice. So Now, um, one thing that always kind of threw me about Haunted Tank was he's got a Confederate flag flying behind the tank, and that's to honor his, whatever, his, his ancestor, Jeb Stewart, who watches out over him. But, like, I'm surprised that didn't get more flack over the years. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I live in, maybe it's just because I live in the South, but, like, a lot of people will put Confederate flags in the back of their car, but it always causes a stink. There's always people, like, fussing about it. So I just am kind of surprised I got away with it in comics for so long. Yes. Uh, Either way. I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> All right. So. Either way, really cool image, great history, just love the Haunted Tank. Such cool stuff. Uh, next, one of my favorite listings of the book, probably maybe my second favorite so far, or no, second favorite total of the book, Hawk, Son of Tomahawk. Just so you didn't know, he's son of Tom Hawk. Uh, this is the character I talked about when we did that uh, Favorite Runs episode of oh, Fire yeah. and Water. This was, You've talked about this character quite a yes, bit, actually. I love this character. It's drawn by Frank Thorne, the great Frank Thorne, who's still with us. He's like 85, but he's still around. Uh, I totally uh, went through puberty thanks to uh, his Red Sony drawings for Marvel. Um, <laughs> I, I'm amazed that Marvel even let him do that book. Just He just could not draw Red Sonja and not make it look prurient. It was just... It just no matter what, he was so talented. Make it look what? Purian. It's a big it's word. Kind of, yes, it is. Uh, okay. They can't all be so. Uh, this uh, is by, I said, it's, it's drawn by uh, Frank Thorne. The full name is unknown. This is Hawk, you know, it's it. Son of Tomahawk, the famous you know, Western character. We see his family in the background, including the old geezer Tomahawk there. Uh, I love his outfit. Oh, is that, is that Tomahawk? That's, 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 that's Tomahawk. That's a Grandpa Tomahawk there in the background. I love Hawk's outfit. He looks like Elvis. Uh, <laughs> and and totally during does. his Vegas shows, it's fantastic. Um, they don't get into what happened to him. It says Hawk was more than capable of fighting his own battles and grew to become a legend in his own right. And that's all we know. So we never know what happened to him. I mean, obviously, he died at some point, although he did show up during the crisis. Um, and then there's a uh, – in the background, we see a nice little close-up of him with his little neckerchief and a little streak in his hair. I love this drawing. I, I said – I wish Frank Thorne could have done more Who's Who listings because I love his work, and uh, this is this is beautiful. And this was a character that was pretty much out, you know, like had not appeared in, in much of I, – I, I don't know this offhand, but I don't think he appeared in a single comic since the book was canceled in like 1970. So this was kind of nice for them to dig him out and give him a listing considering he was pretty inactive. Looking it up. Yeah, he's really, really, really beautiful listing. He last time he appeared before this was 1972, and yeah, in fact, up to this point, he had only appeared in the Tomahawk. There you comic. go. Yeah. So who, now, whoever put him in there, I really uh, owe you one because I think it was great for them to include him. You know, are you sure he was in Crisis? Because he's not mentioned here. He did show up in Crisis. I do remember he was in Crisis. Okay. You know, uh, you know where else he appeared? Swamp Thing. Yes. 1989. That's right. I think when Tim Truman was doing it. Tim Truman was – because okay. Tim Truman did a Tomahawk book for Vertigo. Oh, OK. So. Well, I love this. I love this drawing of him. He looks so cool. It's a ma- great usage of black. Mm-hmm. I mean the, the, yep. the, his whole costume is black. Yep. His hair – even though his hair is supposed to be brown, and here it's black with that weird yellow streak. That's really strange. Yep. 
Uh, it's, it's, it, your Elvis description was totally apt. It's a, it's a nice, nice looking drawing. Like actually the close up of his face in the background is like disappointing to me because I love the foreground image so much. Um, I guess we should mention this is also, we, we talked about this in the doll man entry where, uh, Murphy Anderson did a little tribute to Lou Fine. Here's a little tribute here from Frank Thorne. And by, if you go down to the bottom left-hand side, you see a little inscription for Joe K heart FT. So very <laughs> sweet. Very, very sweet. Obviously, they worked together on the Son of Tomahawk comic. And they, like, I was going to ask that. Did, I mean, did they actually do this together? Yes, Joe Kubert was the editor and the cover artist for many issues of Son of Tomahawk, and Frank Thorne was the artist. There you go. I knew, I knew that uh, – okay, yeah, that all makes sense now. Okay. Uh, next up, Hawk and Dove, drawn by Dennis Cowan and Dick Giordano. Uh, I never liked these characters. <laughs> I never liked <laughs> – I just never did. They always fought – the, the concept of Dove as a superhero is ridiculous. I mean, a, a superhero that won't fight. Just for, you know, come on. Um, and then they, you know, they tended to write them. I mean, they were, look, they were born from the 60s. You know, they were meant to be of their time. And I think that once the 60s sort of ended, uh, that whole, you know, uh, time of tumultuous change thing when it was over, I just think there was nothing left to say about these characters because – and and as they went on, the writers tended to write them more and more ridiculous and to put them further and further apart to where Dove was such a wishy-washy wimp that you couldn't possibly root for him. And Hawk was written like a complete lunatic. Um, so it, 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 these characters, at least as how I remember them in the 80s, almost exist as caricatures of what people view politics as now. Where this is the one side and this is the other side, and the one side is oh. crazy, angry, violent. The other side is totally spineless and you know mealy mouth. I just you know, like I said, they were great of their time, but I, I don't I don't think DC's been able to do a whole lot with them post that. I think that it has served the characters better since they made Dove a girl. Uh, that's true. That's true. I, so I I'd like I, I've never been able to get into them when it was Dawn. As, as Dove. Right. It just never interested me. I've read some of the old classic stuff, um, not the Hawk and Dove series, but, um, well, I don't know if they ever had their own series, did they? They did, um, briefly. Okay. But uh, some of their old Teen Titan stuff, it just, Dove never did anything for me, like you said. Hawk was kind of okay, but, so once it, once Dove was repositioned as a female, it just, it seemed, I guess it seems, as sexist as it sounds, it's sort of like more palatable for a female character to be a pacifist than a guy, which is totally a sexist statement, but it, it in, com- in the world of comics, as a child, that seems to make more sense to you as a kid, you know? Yeah, no, so, I know what you mean. Yeah. Now, I will say that of the art here, the background art, I kind of like. Oh, it's nice. I it's think it's them. a nice piece. I mean, the guy, you know, Hawk's got a black shirt on. Dove's got a white shirt on. The Hawk is, there's like a little bird face holding an arrow. The Dove one's a bird face holding a, a, a flower piece, which is a nice symbolism. Really nice. But the foreground image, it's very disappointing. Yeah. It's really not very good. So I don't know whether, you know, it's Dennis Cowan and Dick Giordano. I don't know if it's an inking problem or a penciling problem or what, but it just, just doesn't really work. Hmm. Now, I, I, I do like, you know, that, that they were in Teen Titans. I think it was interesting that the Teen Titans back in the day really tried to bring in more characters. That was kind of cool. And they, they did have one good story in a Justice League Unlimited comic cart, uh, cartoon where it was Don, and it was actually pretty enjoyable. I liked that. But other than that, I've had a hard time. Now, it's interesting. They mentioned here they had a mysterious benefactor, which is where they got their powers <laughs> right. from. It was retconned that it was Lords of Order and Chaos. 
which is kind of a, you know, being a Dr. Fate fan, I kind of got into that. So I was like, that's pretty cool. I dig that. And then, of course, there is the discussion about Hawk going on to be Monarch. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> one, one other thing worth mentioning is there was an issue of The Brave and the Bold, uh, uh, drawn by Jim Aparo and written by uh, one of my all-time favorites, Alan Brennert. And Alan Brennert, keeping in the history of Brave and the Bold stories written by Bob Heaney, gleefully disregards continuity and features Hawk and Dove as grown-up, older guys. Um, they're, what? Yeah, they're no longer teens. They're like adult men who have kind of put aside their youthful idealism. And it's totally does not jive with any continuity because you're like, wait a minute. They're, they're, they're with, wait a minute. How are they members of the Teen Titans and Robin is still 19 and Hawk and Dove are now 35? That doesn't make any was sense. It, is it possible it's supposed to take place in the future no, maybe? No, it's, no, Alan Brenner just wrote what he wanted to. Um, That's so and, well, bizarre. Well, who's who even took the time to disavow that story? Because if you read the last sentence of the entry, it says, parentheses, <laughs> an account that both have graduated and are now much older is, is inaccurate and discounted. So that was who's who specifically. They, you know, they didn't want to say, Alan Brenner, hey, no, that's not right. But <laughs> that's, I, that's that story. I, it's kind of weird to say that. But, like, I, and I personally now love it when the who's who entries discount oh i do too other, <laughs> other stuff i just think it's so funny when they just come right out and say yeah those, that, that writer didn't care or was crazy or well, the, it's bob haney the writer's fault it's the editor's fault by the way there there's an expression i need to give credit to a buddy of mine thomas dj who by the way you're not supposed to know he's a buddy of mine you're supposed to think i hate him but anyway uh a buddy of mine thomas dj who runs a podcast called better off in the dark and he does some, and I don't know exactly where he covers this, but he covers some of the older comics from the 60s. And w- whenever he's doing a Bob Haney comic, he just says, it's Planet Haney. <laughs> it's true. That's absolutely Which is true. a great expression. It's Planet Haney. There was. There had to be a Planet Haney. Batman has a godson in that comic, and he had like an uncle. There was all, Bob Haney just didn't care. So, and you know what? That story by Alan Brennert is really good. It's Brave and the Bold number like 181 or something like that. It's a really good first story, but it just completely disregards continuity. First appearance of Wolverine? What? Hulk 181. Hulk 181. Okay. I knew. It was wow. All right. Jeez. Yeah, we're going to bring down. Yeah, well, that was you brought it down. Next is my favorite listing of the book. Hands down, my favorite listing, Hawk Girl, the Earth 2 Hawk Girl, drawn by Steve Rude. Steve the Dude Rude. Uh, we see them flying in the background in the serpent, ready to be clocked by everyone's favorite, Gentleman Ghost. Um, <laughs> there's a wonderful profile of her without her mask with a nice little 40s uh, Art Deco background, and then the, the pose itself. Um, the only even slight hiccup I have with this drawing is that she should be holding a weapon of some sort. The pose seems to suggest okay. her, the way her fists are clenched. I feel like she should be holding a mace or something. But that's it. Other than that, this drawing is top of the line. It's my favorite drawing. And it may, it, it, to me, this is drawing is so good. It reminded me of Matt Wagner's Dr. Midnight, where you're like, get this character their own comic and have it drawn by this guy. Because it is so well, sharp looking. Okay, I'm, I am not going to argue with you on any respects of how amazing this drawing is. But I, the piece I'll say were about giving her own comic, I mean, it's almost like anything Steve Rude drew. I know, of I course. Would say the right. same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because remember that amazing Blue Beetle entry yes, he did, too? Exactly. Yes. So anything, I mean, give Steve Rude anything. Right. And it's going to work. Right. This is absolutely a stunning drawing. 
She is beautiful. Now, she does have a mace in the background. Right. Now, she has brown hair. That's interesting. I wonder if she always had brown hair or if that was retconned. I think she oh, – mm, yeah, I think they must have changed it over time because I think I remember reading in her first appearance, which is Flash Comics number one, as Shara. By the way, she didn't first appear as Hawkgirl. She first appeared as Shara in Flash Comics number one and then later Hawkgirl in Flash Comics number 24. So what color hair does she have back then? I thought it was red. I'm pretty yeah. thought it was red. Well, I mean that, that, that happens a lot. Like um, we didn't catch it, and it's, we're bringing up the letters page later, but Green Arrow's hair was turned to brown right, as well. Right. And retroactively, they did a lot of that with Earth 1 and Earth 2. So anyway, I think she looks great. I, I've always liked her mask. For some reason, mm-hmm. I kind of dig the way her mask looks. Mm-hmm. It's not as like cool and modern as Hawk Woman, but I think it's just a cute little mask. I have an action figure of her, too, a Golden Age Hawk Girl action figure that I absolutely love. Oh, really? Well, it was uh, they, what they did was they published, they created a, a Hawk Girl, Hawk Woman action figure from DC Direct. And depending which mask you put on her, so she could be the, the Golden Age one or the Modern Age one, which the costume didn't match up perfectly because the shirt's a little different, but the rest of it works. I mean, the wings, the, the trunks, the legging, it's all the same. Right. So the only real difference between Hawk Girl and Hawk Woman is the top. Right. And the mask. So you have this cool figure, and you just change her mask, and she's one or the other. So pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I love this. And I love... Just the sense uh, – he gives you that thing of uh, – the feeling of, like, defying gravity and that Hawkman and Hawkgirl are heading towards the ground. It's – you know, the way it's top, turned topsy-turvy. The pose for Gentleman Ghost is fantastic. I love the, the motion of the cape. It's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful, beautiful drawing. Uh, I – you know, I can't say enough about it. Well, in the Serpent, you also notice, like, the outlines of the character is in much thicker ink than the inla- inner lines yep. of the character. Yeah, it gives it a nice just... sense of depth and stuff, yeah. Yep. I would also say, now, one thing worth mentioning, we'll get into it in a second here, is this is a cool two-facing page entry. You get Hawker on the left-hand side, Hawkman on the right-hand side, both of them are two. So they're really great together. I'll tell you, Steve Rude and, and compliments quite well for the Hawkman entry, which is Murphy Anderson. Murphy Anderson and Steve Rude look really good together because Steve Rude has such a classic style, but, and Murphy Anderson is a classic style. So they, they look nice together. Now, one of the things I noticed in here, check this out, and well, this comes up through both the Hawkman, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Do you notice what the wings are, are made of? What they're made of? Yeah. Uh, the, or the, uh, the belt. Um, yeah, the wings and the belt. Inth metal. Well, uh, read it again under Powers and Weapons. Hawkgirl can fly at great speed using her artificial wings and her anti-gravity belt made of nin- oh, ninth metal. <laughs> ninth metal? Ninth metal. Oops. Yeah, that's well, I don't know if that's a misprint or not. No, it is. It's supposed to be in shadow. Sure. Yes. Well, I, okay. I don't know. We, I think we need a little research on this. But um, great entry. What else? I had some more notes here. I'm sorry. I'm distracted because I'm now looking up ninth metal versus nth metal. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, of course, you know, she has a son who is uh, Hector Hall, who they mentioned here because Infinity Inc. was around, goes on to be Silver Scarab, eventually Dr. Fate. And one of the things that makes me a little sad is Hawk Girl. Was never part of the Justice Society. No, no. She was. She she did get to be a member of the All Star Squadron, which is great, but never the the Justice Society. It makes me mm-hmm. sad. I am going to suggest. This is just supposition on my part, but I'm going to bet that proofreader Brenda Pope <laughs> saw Inth Metal and said, "That's not a thing. It's got to be Ninth Metal." Yeah. So I'm changing it. It's because it's it's Inth Metal in like all the issues of Infinity Inc. and All Star Squadron. Roy Thomas calls it Inth Metal. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm finding references to Ninth Metal, but I'm not finding any uh, other uh, like 
What you call it? Not comic book related. Uh, no. I, well, I mean, there's some there's some comic book references, but it's always like it says you know nth metal listing, and it says also known as night metal and nth right. metal. This is a thrilling part of the show. Listening to Shag Sorry. look things up on Google, it's great. Do you want to googling do, like googling plane tickets? <laughs> do you want to do any other kind of business here while you're done? Whatever. Plane tickets. Yeah. Oh, I. All right. Now, so other things worth mentioning is, and in, in this this applies to both Hawkman and Hawk Girl. They do talk about their reincarnation here, where you know they're actually ancient Egyptians who died and they're reincarnated in modern day, which really is a staple of the Hawkman mythos all the way through. I mean, you know, when when Jeff Johns brings the character back, you know, they use that to sort of bring all the Hawkmen together. They use that unifying aspect to say all Hawkmen are one. And, of course, you get a mention of Ian Carcool. Because you always do. Yes. Which boggled my mind as a child. (laughs) I've said it before. All right. Uh, Next up is Hawkman, of course. Golden Age Hawkman, drawn by Murphy Anderson, as Shag just said. The one thing I can't stand about Murphy Anderson, those little pointed toes on the boots. I just, they bug bug me. Um, we see a close-up in the surprint. We see a close-up of Carter Hall without his mask, and then we see him in all his different mask iterations. There's the one where it looks very hawk-like, and then there's the more traditional superhero mask, which is the one he's wearing in the main image. And then there was that sort of weird hybrid one, which was like a golden thing, which he had on in the uh, '70s, which I don't think lasted too terribly long. And uh, we see him decking somebody. I think he's. Uh, it looks like. It's the monocle, because you see the monocle flying off the guy's face. And then there's a nice picture of him and Shara hugging, which is very sweet. So They're having a tender moment. Having a tender moment, which is very nice. Yeah, looks like they're about to neck and make, and make Hector. See, now you made now, it dirty. I made it dirty. I did that. Yeah, that's me. So he, you see his occupation. Millionaire. <laughs> weapons, well, also, research scientist, weapons collector, archaeologist. Busy guy. True, true that. Now, it's interesting. A lot of the text from the Hawkman and Hawkgirl entries, they just literally repeated it, which is why maybe the the, nth, the ninth metal, nth metal mistake reappears here, too. Right. Is because literally, I think they just copy, paste, change, you know, Hawkgirl to Hawkman. So a lot of the entry does, a lot of that entry does that. Right, right, right. I mean, now, let's talk about the masks. I think Carter got crapped on with masks, not because people didn't like his masks. But they wanted to distinguish him from the Silver Age Hawkman. Right. So, like, the, I, I don't mind the mask from the 70s. I kind of like it, actually. It's all, and I think Golden Eagle kind of uses a mask more like that one, too. Yes, he does. But I think the, the mask he ended up with, which was just like a luchador mask, is crap. Okay. I really do. I, I, think, it, I think it's completely unfair that Hawkman... Is just wearing a luchador mask. That's all it is. It looks like it looks like crap. It's always bothered me, and I think the only reason he ever had to wear that is because of Cartier Hall. So I'm, I guess I've always been a little more fan of the Golden Age character of Hawkman than the Silver Age. So I just I'm kind of ticked that he got the shaft. I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, if you go to Wikipedia, you can look up Nth Metal. Nth Metal is a fictional metal in the DC Comics universe. Right. So there you go. We know. We know That's that. Right. So what are you confused about this ninth metal thing? It's a mistake. Well, I was wondering. I was wondering if perhaps that ninth metal was what it was originally called in the in the nineteen forties or something. Oh, I see. Okay, I don't. And then maybe they changed it down the line. I get. But I think I think we've I think we're just going to get to the idea that this is a misprint. You know who could tell us? Do we do we bear invoke the name? (laughs) Shazam! Oh, sorry. 
Luke Giaconetti! We need answers, sir. If you don't know, Luke Giaconetti runs a Hawkman blog, which is beancarterhall.blogspot.com. Or, how about Doug Wizzywig? How do you say his last name? He's a wizard. That's him, too. And who wrote the Hawkman Companion, which Rob talked about earlier. Either one of those people could tell us this. All right, guys. Why aren't they answering us? Guys, get on it. Uh, right, that, that last thing, yes. Hawkman logo, weak. Yeah, not, not great. Not great. Uh, next up, Hawkman of the Silver Age, run by Joe Kubert. Awesome, of course. Love the pose. Hawkman is flipped upside down, perfectly conveying the sense of graceful flight. Beautiful. We see a close-up of his face. We see a shot of their starship landing. And then we see uh, him and Hawkgirl flying around. Uh, he crammed a lot in there in a, t- in a relatively tiny space. A beautiful picture. I would have loved to have seen this as a double page. I, I think all the Silver Age Justice Leaguers deserved two pages. And I think you really could have gone to t- – as much as I love this drawing, and I do love it, I would have. Ma- I can imagine what you could have done um, if you could have done them as two pages. You know, Maybe Hawkman and Hawkgirl together as a dual listing. I think you really could have opened it up. But for what we have here, it's really beautiful. I mean, of course, it's Joe Kuber drawing one of his trademark characters. Dude, this is artistically gorgeous. Yep. I mean, the the giant Carter Hall face in the in the background, and it's even I don't know. It, it's not pointillism. What is that a zipatone type thing or something? Uh, no, that's I think that's most likely a dry brush effect. Okay, it, it's just gorgeous the way his face sort of blurs off into the shadows, and it's huge. I mean, it's such a giant piece of the drawing, and uh, you you mentioned you nailed it the way you described him the the grace of flight. This is a stunning, stunning drawing. It's possibly one of the best ones in the book. Really is so nice. So, absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I just looked it up. Nymph Metals first appearance, Flash Comics number one, nineteen forty. All right, so, so it is a misprint. It's always been Nymph Metal. I want free copies that are corrected. Damn it! <laughs> you know, hey, check it out. In the Hawkman and Hawkwoman entries here, no mention of Nymph Metal. Mm, well, because it's just right. an anti-gravity belt. Right. Right. So apparently Nth Metal was something specific to um, Earth 2. Yeah. Uh, next up, finishing out the Hulk. No, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Really? Oh. Th- this character, you, you, you just said this character deserves a double-page spread, but apparently only 45 seconds on our show. Yeah, because no one knows who Hawkman is. Well, I love here, they do another one of those uh, accusations corrections in here. They talk about there, there's another false account that they have to correct, which, I, again, love that. Now, here's something. I didn't know this. Okay. They talk about uh, he utilizes various Thanagarian technology. One of them is he learned all of his Earth knowledge using a device called the Absorbiscon. Yes. I love it. I never knew that. First of all, it's an awesome name. Second of all, it's a blog. There's a guy who uses that as his blog name that is he's sort of connected with a lot of people who listen to the show. And I never knew that's where it came from. So when I came to that cross that, I was just like, whoa! Like, you know, one of those big light bulb moments goes on. So... Also, something else that just kind of I thought was really strange talks about how he util- he loves to utilize uh, classic Earth weapons, right? But what he does is he he makes duplicates of ancient Earth weapons using a Thanagarian duplicator machine. That's really complicated. <laughs> Couldn't they just say he uses replica maces or something like that? Like I don't know. That's a lot of effort to go through to to do that. So I don't know. Back when uh, uh, Tony Zavella was writing the Shadow War of the Hawkman miniseries, and then later on when Which, he did the ongoing series, 
um, in the letters page, he used to kind of gleefully say, yeah, there are certain stories that DC published for Hawkman that are that never happened. They're out of continuity. No, that didn't happen. And I used to, wow. I used to like that. I, I kind of liked it when a writer would just say, I'm not going to make the effort to make this work. It can't work. And there were two things I remember specifically. One was Hawkman donates an entire statue of himself uh, for, to Midway City, and the whole statue floats because it's made of nth metal. And... <laughs> And Tony Isabella's like, Hawkman would never give an entire statue full of nth metal to just sit around in a public park. Like, this is this dangerous rogue element mineral, and he's going to just hand it over to Midway City? No. And then there was, there, was a, there was another story where Hawkman flapped his wings so hard he caused a hurricane. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and Tony Isabella was like, no, no, he never did that. No, just no, forget it. And I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed just saying, look, that's just ridiculous. That had to be written by Bob Haney. Uh, he's just like, no, we're not, we're not doing that, so forget it. I do like in here they talk about Midway City. Uh, they talk about the police commissioner. Apparently he was incredibly accommodating to Hawkman and Hawkwoman. <laughs> he, like, helped him out. He, he forged identifications for them. It's like, wow, he could lose his badge He for found that. out from his buddy Gordon it was just easier just to go along with when you've got a superhero in your city, <laughs> it's just, you know, we can fight him, but what the hell? He's just going to do what he wants to do anyway. So now you, you mentioned uh, the shadow war, this con, this who's who came out shortly after the shadow war, actually. So they make reference here on how they're considered traitors by Thanagar right now. Right. Right. A great series. Da, 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 da. Great, great series. That's to- I don't know if that's ever been collected. It should be. If it hasn't, it was really good. Really good. Story. Don't know. Uh, next up, finally, it's a rounding up the Hawk characters is Hawk woman drawn by Paul Smith. Uh, this is a great piece. I love Paul Smith. You know, back when he did X Men, I was. A, I think this piece is like I don't know. It, I feel like Shara needs to be bigger in the in the image. There's a lot here. I mean, there's a close up of her face. There's a nice picture of her and Carter snuggling. There's her in the rocket ship. There's her fighting the those hawk weird hawk man manhawk characters man, manhawks right. So it, there's a lot to fit in. And so I guess that's why Shara is relatively small. I just kind of wish she was bigger in the picture because she's one of my favorite characters. Um, and I just would have liked to have seen her give a little bit more space. But other than that, great drawing. So hot. <laughs> so hot. Terribly sexy. Um, like Paul Smith just does an amazing job here with it. Now her face in the background, he actually, actually looks a little bit like a Paris Collins face just with the eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. But still, beautiful. I do like in her history how, again, a lot of it's repeated, by the way, from Hawkman. But it really shows where women's lib sort of like skyrocketed here. Because originally she was Hawk Girl, and she was Carter Hall's secretary. <laughs> so, you know, at some point they say, well, bam, she becomes Hawk Woman and becomes co-director of the museum. So clearly, you know, I ima- I, you know in my mind, I imagine that all happened in one issue. You know, it's like one of those like, okay, let's fix this yeah, kind of moments. Yeah. So I, I think that's great that they made her put her put her on more equal footing with Carter because you know, I, personally I've, I I enjoy her more than the Silver Age Hawkman. Me too. So she's a great character. I, I and I again I, I love that aspect where they brought all the Hawks together, made it all one. Like Ken, when Kendra Sanders becomes Hawk Girl, she's a good melding of that whole reincarnation thing as well, where they bring the the Hawk legacy to the more reincarnation effort. So, good stuff. How, after 50 years of existence, DC has never done a Brave and the Bold with Hawkgirl and Mira, I don't know. Why those two? Because it would be a natural team-up. I think their husbands have a lot in common. 
They both, they're kind of warrior women. They're superheroes. I think they got a lot in common. They they protect the, the, the fish of the sea and the birds in the air. It's perfect. Well, now, unfortunately, it can happen I because Hawk Girl's on Earth, too. I, or Hawk Woman. Is she Hawk Girl or Hawk Woman? Uh, I don't know anymore. I don't know. She, she she's done. an interesting character, but yeah. it's an interesting interpretation. Now, now I could see Hawk Woman and Black Canary. That would be fun because, you know, of uh, Hawk Hawkman and Green Arrow's constant battling. Right. That'd be f- the heck was that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you going? Pah. I'm just very angry at your suggestion. That's all. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up is it's what everyone's been waiting yeah, for. Heat wave, heat wave drawn by Carmen Infantino and Joe Gella. Uh, it's a heat wave. It's a, it's a not- heat wave. Sorry. Okay. I was singing. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's what that was. Uh, n- nice drawing Aww. by uh, nice drawing by Carmine Infantino. I like all the shading effects on the on the white suit. Um, very boring pose, but Carmine Infantino, I think, tended to just draw everybody in that pose for the most part. His Gorilla Grodd guy is just standing there. I think he really maybe thought the Husu drawings were, were were supposed to be more like that, just sort of these flat poses. But we see him in the background doing various fun things, like setting Flash on fire. Uh, and then in the background, and back on the the bottom part, he's setting Flash on fire again. Except Captain Cold is also blasting him with his freeze ray, so he's they're really doing a one-two punch on the on the Flash there. I, I think that might be a classic cover. I think yes, I think so. I think you're right. That represents yes. them. Yeah, totally goofy looking character. I mean, he looks like this tubby, fat, you know, goofy, silly character. But truthfully, what a terrifying power! I mean, fire is incredible. Incredibly destructive, and just the, the terrible, terrible things that fire does to people and to their lives and stuff. It's just terrifying, horrifying. So, just the, 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 it's almost like it's a weird pairing of his goofiness with the scary power to me. I just always think about that. Now, what's going on with the the serpent drawing where one of his eyes is just not there? I don't know. That's unusual. <laughs> something. I think something it just didn't wrong. get. I think it just didn't get inked. Honestly, is what happened there. It could be that it was maybe placed uh, the, because these were done on separate layers. These drawings, yeah. So maybe, maybe the uh, foreground figure was supposed to be just to scooch over to the left hand side and cover up the uh, the eye. And it didn't oh, work. that could very well yeah, be, sir. Yeah. Could very well be. A couple different things to mention. You know, this one continues the trend of the the mid eighties of all the rogues reforming. Heatwave had reformed by this point, and then crazy thing here in the powers and weapons. He can shoot heat beams from his eyes? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. What? Huh? I, well, well, huh? I've never heard of that. I think it's another one of those where, like, it happened in one issue and no one ever acknowledged it again, probably. Damn Bob Haney. <laughs> Poor Haney. Haney's getting all the blame. <laughs> I think you would enjoy it, frankly. Uh, next up, Green Lantern villain Hector Hammond, of course, played by Peter Skarsgård in the hit film... Uh, this is drawn by Gil Kane. Great drawing by Gil Kane. Really, really nice. I love you got several close-ups. There's a transformation thing where you see his head all growing all big and stuff. And in the background, he's looking very handsome. Looks a little like Ace Kilroy. And then there he is blasting Green Lantern with his little mind powers. Really a dynamic drawing. I love the movement. I love all the action lines. A great piece. A goofy villain. I just never could take this guy terribly seriously. But a, but a great drawing nonetheless. 
couldn't agree more. Like, you know, some of Gil Kane's stuff in the mid-'80s, you know, I, I've been said some disparaging comments on. Not this one, folks. This one is – now, Hector Hammond in the foreground looks a little ridiculous, but that's just the way he looks. You can't right. fight that. The background image, oh, my gosh, Great it's stuff. so awesome. Great stuff. And that, that him with the, with the ascot and the sweet jacket, <laughs> and he's got yeah, – is, is that his initials maybe be unbroidered on there? I don't know. He looks so cool. I mean, he looks like uh, Timothy Dalton. You know, kind of is what he looks like. He looks really cool. I'd love to see a Hector Hammond story with him looking like that. Ladies. Right, exactly. And one of the things I found interesting when I was reading his origin here, by the way, he goes all the way back to Greenlander number five. So this is, you know, serious, hardcore, Silver Age uh, villain. He, at first, he transformed a bunch of scientists into the, like, super advanced brains. Not himself. And he was utilizing them to do his dirty work. Then later... You know, in a later appearance, it sounds like, or maybe it's later in that issue. I don't know. But he used the power on himself. So at first, he was using other people, which I thought was kind of smart. And I didn't realize this. Yes, he's immobile. I didn't know he's immortal also. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> so maybe in the far future, um, you know, he and Vandal Savage and General Immortus and someone else suggested another one of Letters Page are all hanging out having coffee. So uh, Two fun facts about him before we finish. Uh, one, I think he's probably the only supervillain who wears loafers. And the second, <laughs> he, I think he is, holds the distinction of being the only supervillain ever beaten up by Professor Martin Stein. Woo! <laughs> I was going there next. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Got his ass kicked by Professor. Yeah, that Martin was uh, Justice League numbers 203 to 205, by the way. Great story featuring Hector Hammond and the Royal Flush Gang. Great, great story. Uh, next up, Helix by Todd McFarlane. I don't know what happened to that guy. And Greg Feekston. you used that joke before. Have I? Yeah. Well, in case in this case, I mean it because I hate Todd McFarlane. Uh, this really? Is, yeah, oh God! Like him or his arm? Uh, a little from column A, a little from column B. Uh, this, <laughs> uh, I, I look at. Uh, I tend to look at Todd McFarlane creeping into Who's Who as like the beginning of the end. Because <laughs> I just feel like he can't draw, and uh, <laughs> like it's just all style over substance and. He was sneaking in here. It makes me sad to see his name in these comics. Uh, but okay, uh, this drawing's not that bad, I guess. Uh, these were villains for an Infinity Inc. Um, this team really runs the gamut from kind of cool, which would be Mr. Bones and Tal jo- Dow Jones, uh, to kind of. That's got to be a joke. Yeah, Dow Jones. Uh, to kind of mid level, okay, Penny Dreadful and um, Iraq. And then we got into totally stupid, uh, which would be Critter and Baby Boom. So I, I would actually say that I have I, my first note on this team is in right in regard to how you were just kind of defining everyone. I would just call the whole team a giant WTF. <laughs> okay. Seriously. And I, I don't know. Sorry, Roy Thomas. I love you, man, like a brother. I mean that. But this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I, I, now, I like Todd McFarlane's art, uh, especially from this 1980s time period, actually. His Infinity Ink work is really nice. His early Amazing Spider-Man work when he was inked by someone else was really nice. Th- his Hulk work's really nice. Anyway, this is embarrassing. It's just uh, now, Not that the art is bad. He's done a nice job. It's the characters are just ridiculous. Uh, there, it's You've got cutesy. You've got scary. You've got ethnic. I mean, it's just horrible. Any other artist had drawn this besides Todd McFarlane? This entry would have been worth tearing out of your comp. It's it's that bad. It's ridiculous. Like, Baby Boom is hysterical because she looks so funny. She looks like a Sugar and Spike character. 
but she doesn't need to be in my serious superhero comic. Critter looks like he stepped out of, you know, Top Dog, the comic. You know, it, ugh, this, uh, it's so many issues with this. Yeah. Dow Jones, just the name alone. <laughs> Although I like her look. No, I, I like her look. She's a little she looks cool. She, she, looks, like, thing. Really nice. she looks like roulette. Roulette? Roulette from uh, Jeff Johns' JSA comics. Uh, if you give her red hair and glasses, she looks just like roulette, okay. actually. All right. Um, oh, great character. Great character they made up for the JSA. Anyway, and Mr. Bones, when he wore this costume especially, he looks so stupid. It's it, so many. And Eric, what the hell is that? Son of Thunder? What? <laughs> it's just, there's so many problems with this. And the, the logo's dripping. I'm really all bothered right, let's by just, it. All right, come on, move on. Let's move well, on. Well, no, there's a couple, couple one, one other thing to mention. The inker, Greg Thiexton. So he goes from inking Jack Kirby to Todd McFarlane. Mm. What, is, what, is, what a weird, weird world we live in. Yep. How the money have fallen. Uh, next is Hercules, drawn by Walt Simonson. Oh, my gosh. Awesome this stuff. Is amazing. <laughs> this amazing is drawing. Classic Walt Simonson. Now, Walt Simonson didn't design this outfit because Walt Simonson didn't draw the original Hercules comic that was drawn by um, Wally Wood. And I'm blanking on who the anchor was. Um, but anyway, Wally Wood did the, did the art. But, um, but, but it is kind of a classic-looking Walt Simonson outfit because it's got all this ornamentation and all these little things. He's a perfect guy to draw it. Um, her, now it's interesting because they're they are saying that this character first appeared in Wonder Woman number one, so they're saying that this Hercules is the same like every Hercules that's been in a Marvel in a DC comic is the same Hercules, which I think I think that is what they're saying, right? Which is weird because the Hercules that had his own comic in the seventies drawn by Jerry Conway, uh, written by Jerry Conway, uh, oddly enough, he, he had his own comic in the seventies. His own comic in the seventies, he ran seven issues, was set in the future, like in a post-apocalyptic world. And Hercules was running around having adventures with a blind kid and his dog, um, and it was what? Yes, I've never heard of this. I, yeah, it's fun. It's a it's a fun comic. Didn't last very long. And like I said, it was written by Jerry Conway, drawn by Wally Wood. It's hard to go wrong there. And I think there might have even been a couple issues drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Um, so I don't know how they reconcile that the Wonder Woman Hercules is the same Wonder Woman that appeared in that book, uh, but. You know, okay, you go with your bad self, DC. So here's the next question: Did Simonson ever draw Hercules? That's a good question. Uh, we'll have. Or to did they just get him because of his connection to you know, say, Thor, Thor and stuff? <laughs> right. I mean, this is an amazing looking drawing, and and I'm, for you to say that he did not design this costume is shocking to me because it looks like such a Simonson Thor kind of costume yep. or a Kirby costume. It yep. just looks so cool. Yep. The art is amazing. It, it I like the idea that. All of the Hercules have been the same guy, just you know, sort of like they did with Fables and Jack. All the Jacks were the same guy. I like that idea. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. That dismissive. Nice. Yeah. I really, I really got caught up in his history, reading his history and the entry. I really, really enjoyed that. I enjoyed all the different stories and everything. I thought it was cool. Okay. Before we get off this Hercules, this series that I'm talking about, it's called Hercules Unbound. First issue. Writer, Jerry Conway. Get, check, check, check out this combination. Penciler, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, inker Wally Wood. That is, wow. <laughs> is, that is a good series. And I just bought the uh, couple issues off of Paul Kupperberg, who was selling them on eBay. <laughs> so it's a fun- Paul Kupperberg was selling his own on eBay? Oh, you know what? Before we, before we get off, yes, he was. Before we get off this, uh, Hercules Unbound, the last couple issues were drawn by Walt Simonson. So there we go. I didn't. I never read the later ones. I read like the first couple. But Walt Simonson was the art. And he did the, he did the cover. 
Um, he was the artist as of number eight. So there you go. Now we know why. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm now I, I I made fun of Shag for googling live on the air. Now I'm doing it. Uh, actually, uh, Walt Simonson took over as of number five, number seven, number seven, number seven. Yeah. So now one of the things to note here, this Hercules. I'm I'm now looking at these drawings too. These are really cool. Oh wow! Look at this great cover. Walt and Woody together. Yeah, That's, it's a great book. It was a ton of talent for a very short-lived title. But they. Uh, the costume that he's wearing in this Hercules Unbound comic, actually, there are elements of it in this drawing we see here in Who's Who. Mm-hmm. He's got the, the the weird sort of Roman skirt and the big, uh, like a lion belt and the yellow headband. So that, what he wore in the Hercules Unbound comic, which took place in the future, is the same pieces of elements of the costumes here. Yeah, great drawing. Great listing. Great all around. Love it. L- love that weird creature in the background. <laughs> so cool. Anyway, hats off, Mr. Simonson. As always, you do an amazing job. Nice. So thrilled to see him in Who's Who again. Yep. Uh, next up, Heroes of Lalor, art by, <laughs> art by Kurt Swan and Carl Kiesel. Why do I think Evolvo Lad and Hector Hammond hung out a lot? Um, probably the same reason that Beast Boy and Captain Comet did. I don't get that connection. Look at him. He looks just like Captain Comet. Okay. At least I think he does. Right. He's got the little weird shoulder pads All and right. stuff. I don't. All right. I'm not seeing that connection, but okay. Uh, drawn by Kurt Swan. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> these are characters. Oh, I see. You're just leaving it that by saying Kurt Swan. Okay, uh, yeah, now I can yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. These are goofy-looking yeah, characters, and they're standing around not doing anything interesting. Going back to the Captain Comet, if you look at classic Captain Comet, he had a red bodysuit with white trunks, white boots, there was some blue on him okay. also. And he had the little weird shoulder things. I mean, Captain Comet and Beast Boy look identical to me, other than the, the chest emblem. All right, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, you're right. I think you're, yeah. Uh, here's the thing about Heroes of Lalore. Um, you know, I, I enjoy Legion stuff. You know that. But I came in later. So I've never actually read any comics with the Heroes of Lalore. Or if I did, I didn't notice. And I like to use them as the butt of jokes. <laughs> Like, you know, whenever we come up, we try and do some obscure thing. I, if you go back and listen to previous episodes, I actually reference them a lot. Because it's just, it's fun to me to knock on them. So, um, that's about all I got on these guys. I mean, Evolvo Lad looks ridiculous. Duplicate Boy, we've talked about on previous episodes when he was hook, hanging out with, um, was it Duplicate Girl, maybe? Shrinking Violet. Yeah, but he's he's featured in, oh, he had his own entry. That's what it right. was. Yeah, he has his own entry. So, it's just. I don't know. Apparently, he's the only one that really deserved one, I guess. So she, <laughs> and he, be- she had a relationship with Shrinking Violet, is what they're saying. Yeah, and maybe that's why he earned his own entry. She I don't know. She was a party I mean, girl. Uh, and Gas Girl looks like she's probably hot, you know, and, and Life Lass is also fairly attractive. Um, but I don't know. Even even my Legion love can't get me here on these. Now, I'm sure we're going to hear from, Earth you know. Earth 2 Chris, Anthony Durso, Siskoid, everyone's going to jump on our case saying, no, back in Legion number 462, they were the greatest things ever. You know, I don't think there like ever that. was a Legion 462. I know. That was me just being incredibly mean to my friends. Because <laughs> I'm a D-bag. Yes. Next up, High Father, drawn by Jack Kirby and Greg Feigston. Uh, I, I Interesting logo. I like the little hand is burning the name into this little stone tablet thing. 
Uh, well, that's how the source used to appear in the comic. Oh, that's right. That's right. That, that's, the, that's the source wall. The source that's would right. speak to him. It would be like this weird hand carving its finger-burning it words into there. I think James Brown concerts used to start the same way. It was very nice. Uh, what the which, hell? <laughs> uh, his alter ego is Izia the Inheritor. Yeah, Good to know. that was his name. Yeah, okay. I don't have a lot By to say way. about this character. Okay, well, I've got some things, but I do have to go back. Sorry, here's a Lalor. For, totally forgot. No first appearance. No. That's right. They just—they've always been with us. <laughs> I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. So, hi, Father. Uh, really love it. Again, Kirby and Thixton do a nice, nice job here together. I like him with his hand outstretched. You know, it's just—it's such a awesome. I always thought High Father looks so cool with that giant flowing mane of hair and the beard that's of equal length. It's <laughs> kind of cool with no mustache. So, um, I will say the the serpent is a little weak. Compared to the four drawings, like the four drawings sharp. Although I do like that dark side, and they're they're handing the baby to dark side because if you don't know, uh, and I'm sure you probably do, but Mister Miracle was High Father's son, and Orion was Dark Side's son, and they traded sons. So Mister Miracle got raised on Apocalypse, and Orion got raised on New Genesis. Kind of freaky, but they did it anyway. Raw deal now, for I do Mr. like Miracle. What's that? Raw deal for Mister Miracle. Oh hell yeah! But it says, in, it even says in here that he knew that he would run. He knew he would uh, uh, flee Apocalypse and eventually and rebel against them. He like he knew that was going to happen with his son. I don't know. I wouldn't do that, with my kid. <laughs> now, kind of sick thing here. Steppenwolf murdered High Father's wife, so High Father actually initiated the war with Apocalypse, even though it's all be as a result of what Steppenwolf did under Darkseid's direction. I mean, there's some pretty. Hardcore, um, like Dallas level backstabbing that goes on <laughs> in the New Gods. It's pretty, pretty wild. It also mentions here Darkseid destroyed New Genesis. I, I guess that was during the later stuff that Jerry Conway wrote. Maybe I don't remember that happening. Oh, yes, I do. Because when they in the Justice League issue, when the Justice League goes to New Genesis or goes to meet the New Gods, they didn't go to New Genesis, did they? Uh, you remember the like one eighty three, one eighty four? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> You know, I know a guy who ran a Justice League blog that covered issue by issue. I bet he might know. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, last mention, the new gods of Supertown. That's great. <laughs> love that. I love it. I want to throw a gang sign when I say Supertown. I would love to see you doing a gang sign. That would be That's hysterical. Uh, <laughs> next up is Hippolyta, mother of wonder. A- what? We need a pronunciation guide for this one, by God. Hippolyta. That's, I always call her Hippolyta. Right, but I, when I think I'd have heard her said uh, the name said on like Wonder Woman TV show or on Justice League Unlimited, they always said Hippolyta. Like those are uh, those are authoritative. Right, exactly. Uh, drawn by Jerry Ardway Ordway. Thank you very much. Um, she, Ardway. Ardway Ordway. I've, somebody came up with that, and uh, I like it a lot. <laughs> I, I'm still going with Jerry above reproach Ordway until it's something to, better comes along. Well, something better did just come along. Uh, anyway, this is drawn by Jerry Ordway, which means it's awesome, and it is. She's great. Yes, it's a great pose. Uh, a little, uh, probably like a little more sexual than you first first notice. Like when I was a kid, I didn't notice, but if you look, you see that her whole blouse thing is very diaphanous, and you can sort of make out her her legs through that thing, and that's. Uh, it's very sensual in a lot of ways. I mean, he was great at drawing women, of course. Um, there's a close up. Do you, do you need a moment? No, because I'm an adult okay. and I can handle myself. Uh, we, there's you're a, handling yourself where you record yes, the podcast? Yes, I am. That's what that sound oh, was cool. earlier. Uh, oh. There's a close-up of her. 
Ah, uh, just wait till we get to Hoongan. Uh, there's a close-up, and then there's her in battle, <laughs> and then we see her in charge, and then we see her with her, her girls, Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl. Very, very nice. Beautiful drawing. I mean, it's just, it's classic. It looks like something out of a history book, and, uh, you know, Ordway can do no wrong, and uh, this is just a, a great entry all around. Her first appearance was in All-Star Comics number 8. And then her modern version was in Wonder Woman number 98, which is weird because Wonder Woman number 98, I think, is still like in the early 50s. So that would, to me, still suggest you're talking about the Earth 2 Wonder Woman, not the Earth 1 version. But, you know. Probably where they changed her hair or gave Wonder Woman's new origin. Maybe so. Maybe so. So. Because it's interesting that this this entry does cover both Golden Age and Modern Age, and they say the only difference is black. The Golden Age version had black hair, <laughs> which is interesting because the post Christ version also has black hair. So, um, I, I her crown is I never noticed is really weird. Like you really notice it in the close up, the beautiful close up he did of her face. Just looking at the crown, I was like, that's a really strange crown. Looks but, yes, it does. Amazing work by Ordway here. Just, I, you know, I, I sound like a parrot repeating what you said, but just, wow. A nice use of cross-hatching for shadowing and stuff. Really gorgeous stuff. Now, it talks about here how she adopted Wonder Girl, and we'll eventually get to Wonder Girl's origin, but, like, that's pretty screwy. You do know the deal with Wonder Girl, right? I can't keep track of it anymore. I don't remember. Well, I don't know what they retconned later on, but how she actually came about. They were basically like Superboy stories. There were stories of Wonder Woman as a girl. But then someone decided to write Teen Titans and put her in there. Like they didn't pay attention. That had to be Wonder Girl. It could have been. Actually, Haney wrote a lot of Teen Titans, so maybe so. Where literally they just, it'd be like putting Superboy in a modern day team going, um, but that's just Superman. What are you doing? <laughs> so and then, so they, then they had to come up with all these excuses, which is part of the reason that they constantly reinvent her origin every couple of years is almost sort of a, a gag, acknowledging the fact that her origin, she shouldn't exist. So great entry. Absolutely love this. Can't say enough things. And what a great two facing page and set here, guys. On the left hand side, you got Hippolyta. On the right hand side, you got Hive by George Perez. Woo! Now, this is one hell of a complex drawing because we see the leader of the Hive and then all her little behooded be uh, minions down there standing in front of their, their, uh, their, their little consoles. And then we see the little Hive window of their, their effort. And then there's all this stuff in the background. Which, you know, it, it's weird because it's like, it, it's, I think the image is supposed to vaguely suggest that it's all happening in the same place. Because the Hive's under, underground, the Hive's base was underwater. Um, so, like, you see these guys in their little swim, swimming outfits in the background. And so you could say that those guys are literally there within the context of this picture. Or you could just say that they're background elements and they're not meant to be literally there. So it kind of works on both, both ways. I read it as sort of computer screens. Okay. Because like you're like seeing three different images. You're seeing that's the guy true. swimming. Yeah, that's true. Then on the left, you're seeing the guy standing on land, and then beneath them, it looks like the underwater base. I think. Right. Now, interesting. That, you know, I just noticed the correlations between these two double page spreads. You've got two beautiful women, sort of in a commanding position. Both cases, they're using the right hand to hold something up. And Hippolyta, it's a rose. In uh, the hive leader, it's a Dove, apparently, because she's a piece, I suppose. Both of them have sort of long, flowing dresses that still look very sexy. And Hippolyta's holding a rose, whereas the hive lady is standing amongst a bunch of roses. So, kind of interesting. Very it's nice. almost 
almost coordinated. Now, what I understand are the hive scientists, if they're all standing at their computer terminals, how are they getting work done with their hands and their sleeves? <laughs> uh, maybe they're rebooting the system for the moment, so everybody's taking a break. I love the acronym HIVE, Hierarchy of International Vengeance and Extermination. <laughs> Superb. Great stuff. We said, and drawn, drawn and penciled and inked by George Perez. So this is yeah. obviously, again, another labor of love because he was super busy. They didn't let him ink a lot of his own stuff because they just wanted to keep cranking out the pencil. So this feels like uh, you know he really wanted to do this one because even though they first appeared in Superman Family, they became basically Teen Titans villains and stayed that way. You know, I'm interested about their history. I don't know a lot about them, but according to this, they were formed. The group was originally formed by seven criminal scientists that had been beaten up by superheroes. <laughs> and what I wonder is if that was actually like legitimately they went and picked out this guy and this guy and this guy and that had been beaten by some sort of superhero and formed them like a you know a damn Yankees or traveling Wilbury super group. <laughs> Or whether they just said, oh, yeah, these are seven guys that got beat up. You know, I wa- I'd, I'd really want to know that. And, you know, I bet you Siskoid can tell us. So I, I never knew. would have thought for all the money in the world that we could have worked in a reference to the Traveling Woolberries in the Who's Who podcast, but, but you did. Well done. You're welcome. I figured you'd appreciate that. I loved that. it. I, I started with Damn Yankees just to throw you. <laughs> that was good stuff. Uh, all righty. Next up is a blast from the past. Hop Harrigan. Drawn by Terry Terry Beatty, who was uh, the artist on Miss Tree by Max Allen Collins. So this was one of those ones where DC took a character, uh, an artist that was really more familiar, no uh, more known for doing indie comics, and had them do a listing. And you know, Hot Harrigan is one of those characters. You know, in the 30s during the age of Lindbergh, you could make your hero just be a big time pilot. That's kind of what's all you needed. You know, that was his shtick. Uh, you know, by by the time of you know regular airplane travel. That didn't seem so amazing anymore. So Hop Harrigan just sort of was a character from his time and then disappeared and basically never returned. So I thought it was nice that DC gave him this listing because he ran a long time. He first appeared in All-American Comics number one, which is the first appearance, same issue as Green Lantern. And he had a quite long run in that book. Um, 1939 to 1948, my friend. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was was a very popular character. So, you know, in that context, now, again, once he disappeared, he disappeared big time. But still, I thought it was nice that DC gave him a listing because he, he deserved it. You know, anybody that had their own series for nine years deserves it. My God, he appeared in – it appears to be almost 100 issues of All-American Comics. Yeah, so that's said he, he, was, he was crazy. Yeah. When I was reading this Who's Who in, in preparation for this episode, I got to this page and I was like, huh? I've never even heard of this guy. Like the name sort of echoed something in the back of my head, probably from this Who's Who interview seeing it before. But I'm like – I, who? And I, I did some research on it. Dude, you're right. 19, July 1948, it appears in All-American Comics nine, uh, number 99, and he is done. Yep. Yep. He makes a couple of reprint appearances. He's in Who's Who. Apparently, he's in History of the DC Universe, probably one panel, I'm sure. Apparently, he was in a Young All-Stars issue. Okay. And that is it. He wasn't in Crisis? Literally, no, well, it's not listed here. Okay, doesn't mean he wasn't it's, in it, though. I suppose he may have been in the background. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, if uh, George Perez threw him in there somewhere. Yeah. But you know, essentially, other than that young All Stars appearance, he goes from from 1948 to never again. It just seems to me like this is the kind of character that would show up in stuff. You know, mm-hmm. he really makes like when I when I read this entry, I really get a sense that he's basically um, sort of a, almost like a rocketeer character without the jetpack. 
you know, flying around in planes, having adventures, which reminds me a lot of uh, what the Rocketeer character was doing before he got the jetpack. Mm-hmm. Maybe if he had had a Betty Page character, he would have lasted longer. Could have been, could have been. What a tough life, too. Like, his parents died, and he had to live with this mean jerk who was treated him horribly. <laughs> sad stuff, sad stuff. So, and yet he had a delightfully upbeat name. Hop Harrigan. Sounds like a fun guy. And beautiful drawing. Very nice. You're very right. yeah, yeah, very, very nice. Uh, next is Hoongun, one of the members of the Brotherhood of Evil, drawn again by George Perez. Great drawing. I love the logo. It's crazy. Nice big close-up of him without his mask. And then we see him standing there, and he's get, he's got his little uh, robot voodoo doll, and he's poking it. And then we see the effect of it as it is jabbing. He's jabbing the arm, and we see the arm is reflected in the pain uh, by, pain by um, Changeling, while the other Brotherhood of Evil stand around and gleefully, uh, maniacally laugh. So, you know, gorgeous piece all around. Not a lot of history, so Perez really uh, filled the space quite well. Ridiculous costume. Completely ridiculous costume. But a, a, a great drawing. I really don't like this character. <laughs> Lo- art, <clears throat> art, it's artistically, this entry, absolutely stunning. I mean, there's one, two, three. There's almost like three different scenes going on yeah. here. I mean, it's just some amazing stuff. But uh, artistically, it's gorgeous. But, yeah, I can't stand the costume. <laughs> it looks so 1980s, you know, honestly, Perez X-Men-ish. You know, he's got the little trunks, you know, and he's got the, the big belt and the, the metal bracers and the metal leg pieces, which make no sense. Um, it's, I, I really, I hesitate to use the word hate because I don't know the character enough to hate him. But, like, anytime I ever see this character, I just roll my eyes. <laughs> oh, God. The whole magic and, and, and technology merging, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have to cancel Re- the order I placed for the custom Migo Hoongendal that I'm getting you for your birthday. Yep. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> uh, next up is Our Man, drawn by Murphy Anderson. Uh, what, where's Our Man's leg? Um, <laughs> he, ah! first appeared, he first appeared in Adventure Comics number 46. Uh, 48. Oh, 48, I'm sorry. Uh, we see him using his powers there. He's flipping a car up. He's taking his pill. Yes, one of the few superheroes that is a junkie. And then we see him there without his uh, mask on. You know, a, a, a classic Golden Age character, uh, you know, very well represented, nice pose. You know, he's running towards the camera. The disappearing leg is troubling, uh, but... Uh, well, it's just up behind I know, it just looks weird. I always love this costume, though. I like these colors. I think the yellow, red, and black, very striking. Um, you know, in the, even as a kid, I was like, wait a minute, he only has superpowers for an hour? What, what does that do? You know, it seemed kind of goofy. He has the single best descriptor of any superhero. Like, it immediately captured my attention as a child. He has the strength of ten men for one hour. I mean, <laughs> that's all you need to know. I mean, that is your elevator pitch right there. He, he is a uh, – a, a, um, you know what? He's a, he's, a, he's a TV series waiting to happen. I mean, he's a scientist. He owns his own company or at least he works for a company that eventually owns it. Strength of ten men for an hour. You could have some drug addiction themes going on. I mean, he is an awesome character. Oh, he's one of my abs. I just what? figured it out. We're going to pitch an hour man TV show and say it's Smallville. Smallville meets 24. How did you not put Game of Thrones into that? You always put Game of Thrones uh, into Not this time. Um. Now, you, you didn't mention Murphy Anderson's really nice uh, hourglass in the background. Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't. That's, yeah. That's back. And he's, and well, he's, it really shows that I, I think he was trying with this one. Like, oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. he had seen some of the other who's who's and went, wow, I really need to step up my game. 
and really did a nice job with this one. The car, you know, sort of reminiscent of Action Comics number one, even, you mm-hmm. know, lifting the car. Mm-hmm. I just absolutely love this drawing. And, um, yeah, the drug addiction thing is a neat angle. I assume that came, hit came about um, in All-Star Squadron. I can't remember. What? The, I don't, well, I was kidding. I'm just saying any superhero that relies on no, it. No, no. No, I know they he did that later, but I'm just saying. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think it was uh, All-Star Squadron where they did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure. Now, um, interesting that I've always heard his nickname, nickname is TikTok. It's Rex TikTok Tyler. I've never actually seen anyone call him TikTok in a comic. Unless I just have forgotten. But they always call him Rex. I've never seen him call him TikTok. So I'm like, when did he have that nickname exactly? I don't really know. So, anyway, love the art. Love the addictive pills. Now, he also suffers from the really freakish uh, Freedom Fighters Earth X thing I've mentioned on previous episodes of the show. Just, he was part of the Freedom Fighters for a while and was gone and back and gone and back and Earth X and Earth 2 and blah, blah, blah. Just, the Freedom Fighters, I I don't want to know. Like, I don't care. How, how often the Freedom Fighters went back and forth. It just it seems like the guys who, who felt it's very important to talk about how often the Freedom Fighters went back and forth. Bothers me. Okay. Now, here's a question. Again, I, I do want to say, Iron Man's one of my favorite characters. Um, his mask is, has always kind of bothered me, though. Like, he, the yellow and black is very striking. Why is it always shadowy in the front of his hood? Like, his hood's yellow, dude. It's not black. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, Shaq. But you see what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, I do. It's like they did that with Batman. A lot of times Batman's face front was always dripped in shadow, not always this self well, blue. But his was colored black for a while there. Like, And the Hour Man action figure has his hood colored black. Like it's like someone colored that part of the costume black. But I think it's always meant to have been all yellow and just in shadow, which just never really made a lot of sense to me. But anyway, love the character. Another mention of Ian Carcool. You know, that's necessary. Um, just, I... I <laughs> I love Iron Man. Like, the whole legacy of Iron Man is really cool. We'll talk about more of it in a second when we get to the next one. But in the robot Iron Man series, you do more with that. And then in the Jeff Johns JSA, they had Rex, because Rex dies during Zero Hour. They had him um, come back, like, uh, out of time. And he was there in modern day with the JSA and just felt out of place. He felt like a dinosaur. He didn't know. He felt like a Scotty and Next Gen kind of thing. It was really cool. All right, next up is Iron Man 2. Uh, the son of the original Iron Man, if you couldn't figure that out. Uh, his ego was Rick Tyler. He first appeared in Infinity, Inc. I was never a big fan of this character. I just wasn't. So, let me ask, is the art here simple or boring? I can't figure it out. Uh, eh, oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, I should have said that. Dennis Cowan and Rick Magyar. Um, it, it's, it's not bad. It's okay. His body proportions are weird. His boots are kind of crazy. His boots are crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's not a lot going on in the background. We see him with his son, and then we see a close-up of him without his mask and a couple of uh, hourglasses there. It just, yeah. I, I... You know what's interesting is how much history is here for the character considering he had been around uh, for a month <laughs> at this point. He literally had existed for like a month. So, nice art. I mean, it's nice. Yeah. I like that he has strength of five men. That's cool. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> next, uh, next, next up, the Human Bomb, one of the most disturbing characters in all of comics, uh, in terms of what he can do. And you know, uh, Alex Ross did the classic Human Bomb joke in Kingdom Come. We all remember that. It's drawn by William Messner Loeb's, and who was doing a book for Ad- for Advark of Anaheim at the time called Journey. 
So this was another case of taking an indie guy and giving him a DC character. An unusual choice. I don't really see the connection between the two. Maybe maybe Mr. Mr. Loeb just liked Human Bomb and asked to do it or something. Uh, but anyway, a cool character. I like the suit because it is so simplistic, so simple. Um, and it's a, a fun listing. I mean, he basically, when he touched things uh, by taking off his glove, he exploded them. So that, that was his that was his power. <laughs> I, I never knew um, Bill Mister Lewis was an artist. I always knew him as a writer. Yes, he, I think he wrote and drew the book Journey. So gotcha. I, I think and eventually he just went on to to do um, to, to, to do the writing. So again, an unusual choice is one of those guys. When I was a kid, I was like, "Who's this guy?" You know, I've never seen this artist before. Uh, it's a nice drawing. I like the logo too, and I you see him in the background exploding stuff with his hand. This entry is really good because it gives you a little bit of sense for the character, which is kind of cool. I always like that. You get more of his history than it, – it didn't feel as much as a he did this, then he did this, then he did this sort of entry. Although there's, there's all that Freedom Fighters, Earth-X, back and forth crap again. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Uh, this character should have been Damage's father rather than the Atom. Um, I really feel like they changed direction in the series halfway through because one of the big mysteries in Damage was, who's his dad? And it's like, he's a Golden Age character. Like, no shit. It's a Hollywood Bob. He blows up. You know. Anyway, um, this entry is also noteful for mentioning it mentions Crisis at Infinite Earths and talks about parallel worlds getting destroyed. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> next up is star of not one but two TV series, The Human Target. Beat me to it. There you go. So, I mean, you know, laugh all you want about how boring this character might be. He got his own TV series twice. So, suck that, Aquaman. Uh, Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. He first appeared in Action Comics number uh, 418, uh, drawn by Dick Giordano. He was a – I think he was Dick Giordano's creation or co-creation. And I think Giordano like, clearly had some sort of sense of proprietary ownership over him because in almost every Human Target solo story I could think of, it was drawn by Giordano. And he's basically a master of disguise. You know, he was somebody who could hire to protect you. And we see him down at the bottom as he's morphing into a super old guy through his expert makeup tricks. Uh, he's got his gun. He's a, we see him flipping over, shooting another gun out of a guy's hand, throwing a knife in a guy's arm. You know, he's just like your classic James Bond super spy kind of guy. Great stuff. Absolutely love it. The Serprint is especially wonderful in this. Really one of Dick Giordano's uh, crowning achievements of who's who, I think. Uh, the, the, I should say of male characters. Uh, some of his females are amazing, too. So, uh, love it. Now, I didn't know, I noticed when I read this time how much of his origin sort of reflects Daredevils. His relationship with his dad, how his dad got involved with some crooks. His dad dies. Um, he swears you know, to his dad that he'll make something of himself. He has no fear. I mean, there's a lot of parallels with Daredevil. I didn't think about that. You're right. Daredevil also got, almost got his own TV series as well. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. <laughs> what, of that Hulk special? Yeah. I don't think he came that close, my friend. Oh, I'm well, sorry. and there was also that David Bowie thing. I have no idea what you're talking about. We'll talk about it another day, though. Is, okay. It was that David Bowie thing. So anybody who's listening, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, next up is Lieutenant Hunter's Hellcats. Uh, I have absolutely no idea who these people are. <laughs> I never knew who they were. Never heard of never them. Never heard of them. They appeared in our fighting forces. I guess they were just another team of guys that ran around and did stuff in World War II. Um, <laughs> we see you know, they look very much like Easy Company crossed with the losers. We see Lieutenant Hunter, Brute, Swinger, mm-hmm, Snake Oil, Juggler, and Heller. So there they are. Uh, they have a very nice logo. Um <laughs> Guess how many appearances they made. How many? This would be their third. Ouch! Wow, they got their own <laughs> listing for that. 
Um, I know. It's amazing. Somebody liked Lieutenant Hunter's Hellcats. Interesting that they're listed under H.U. Like, it's a weird, like, his name is Hunter, but their name is the Hellcat. Like, they really should be under the Hellcats, but, you know, who am I to misjudge? Who am I to second-guess? Well, they're called Hunter's Hellcats on the cover. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Um, this is, they're, they're sort of a cross between the Suicide Squad and the Dirty Dozen. There you go. Uh, drawn by Mike Chen, who did the GI Robot listing, uh, my former instructor at Hubert, and Joe Orlando. Now, now's the time to mention, I went and asked Mike uh, about drawing these Who's Who drawings. We forgot to, I forgot to ask him about the GI Robot drawing, so I wanted to make sure we, we got a, some input from him regarding these drawings he did for Who's Who. He did three listings for Who's Who. He did GI Robot, Lieutenant Ernest Hellcats, and then he later did Pack Rat from Atari Force. Oh, wow. Now, Mike, uh, so here's, here's what I asked Mike, and here are his answers. Did DC offer you a list of characters to pick from or for, uh, or just the three you ended up doing, Jai Robot, Hellcats, and Packrat? And he said, no, I don't believe I was given any choices in the matter. So basically they just said, Mike, do you want to draw these three? And he said, yes. And then I mentioned uh, you drew Packrat solo stories in Atari Force, so it makes perfect sense why you got to do that entry. But did you have much or any familiarity with Jai Robot or the Hellcats before this? Did DC send you reference so you knew what these characters looked like? And his answer, yeah, Pack Rat was easy. The other two entries, I had to do research on my own. <laughs> so, and you know, in an era before Google, that probably was kind of hard. Well, especially with these Hellcats. I mean, the, 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 the few comics they appeared in? I mean, I'm going to assume that anyone that was drawing Who's Who had access to the DC libraries and the DC offices, which were bound copies of every single one of their comics. But were they indexed by this point? And that's yeah. That's you know, a was good was Peter Sanderson's work available? Yeah, because yeah, he's the one that did the indexing, right? Yeah, that's it. So was his was his notes available to people by this point? That's a good question. We'll have to find Mr. Sanderson and ask him. And uh, a couple other things. I'm sorry. Do you have any more on him? No, no. That was that. Was that's really cool that you got a chance to ask him. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. He, he does a really nice job here. But the Serpent is almost non-existent. Right. Did you notice that? Yeah. Just the background, basically. Well, but probably because there's so much yeah, going on. And you, get their, you get their figures, faces, yeah. you get them, you get juggling grenades. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, now one weird thing about these characters, like half, not half, but um, almost a third of the entry is not about the Hellcats. It's about uh, Hunter's sons, <laughs> which I thought was kind of strange. So uh, I went ahead and looked that up. Turns out the sons actually appeared in these Our Fighting Forces comics before the Hellcats. Really? Kind of weird. That's yeah. Okay. Bizarre. Very weird. All right. Well, that's awesome to hear from Mike Chen. Right. Very cool. All right. Uh, next up, The Huntress, the Golden Age version, drawn by Rick Stasi and Carl Kiesel. Uh, first appearance in Sensation Comics number 68. Um, she, you know, she's appeared in, uh, she, she, she appeared in All-Star Squadron later on, uh, where Thomas got good use out of her. She made a great cameo appearance in Aquaman's Outrageous Adventure episode of Brave and the Bold, where she's on family vacation, uh, which is really a very fun, funny little gag. We see her in the background uh, slicing Wildcat's head open. Very nice. And there she's cuddling up with Sportsmaster, looking, the two of them look like a very mean couple there together. Um, she's hot, dude. Seriously, seriously hot. Wow. Rick Stasi. Like, I thought this was a Kevin McGuire drawing at first. Look at that face. It's nice. It's very nice. G- great expression expression with minimal lines. Just really sharp. I had to look up Rick Stasi. He's known for drawing, uh, at this point, really, uh, he came through the New Talent Showcase. Oh, that's right. Drawing. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, 
you know, and he went. On, it's interesting. He went on to do the Badger after this, so it's kind of funny the claw thing. I mean, it kind of continued on. <laughs> now, I think this is a cool character. I think she makes a good match for Wildcat. I mean, Wildcat, Huntress, they're good animal pairings. You know, sort of goofy fish, but nice animal pairings. Now, when she goes on to appear in Young, she went on to be a regular in Young All Stars. That's right. And and they changed her name at that point to Tigress. Oh, okay. Just because, to avoid the confusion, I guess. Exactly. And this used to confuse the crap out of me, though, too, because I was always like, Huntress, they're both from Earth 2? What? Shouldn't it be Earth 1 Huntress or 2 Huntress? No, they're both from Earth 2. So it confused the mess out of me. But great drawing. Absolutely love it. And I love anytime Sportsmaster gets mentioned because he's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's who she's on vacation with on an Aquaman episode, too. Uh, <laughs> next up is the other Huntress, the more famous one, Selena Wayne. For Spirit All-Star Comics number 69, drawn by Joe Staten. Very, very nice. In the background, we see her parents, Batman and Catwoman. Uh, very dynamic design. It was over her shoulder, and there's like a nice curve. And then within the inside, we see her taking on Blockbuster. And then we see her throwing a Batarang. Really very, very nice piece. This is a character that, you know, Im- I, I don't want to say improbably and that it's a bad character. I don't mean that. But it, she's really hung on. To where you know she's kind of she's she's in the new Fifty Two. She's along with Power Girl, starring in the, the World's Finest series. So she's really lasted uh, quite a while. Well, she's back to who she used to be. She's back to being the daughter of Batman again. Because you know, for twenty, thirty years, she wasn't right. They right retconned all that stuff out and stuff. So yeah, I mean, pretty much this would be one of her last appearances in this this comic you're holding is one of her last appearances. Because after Crisis, they just had to make her evaporate, you know, and then recreate her a few years later as Helen Bertinelli. Now, interesting, those of you at home may have just noticed Rob called her Selena Wayne, and you're probably scratching your head. That's right. She's not Selena Wayne. However, she is mistakenly identified that way in Who's Who. Because if you look down at her history, she's Helen. Oh, that's Wayne. right, of course. Helen, yes. So uh, they made a little mistake there. Now, this is a Joe Staten drawing, and let me tell you, she is sexy. Very curvy. A, a little too curvy, honestly, but very nice drawing. This just, I mean... I said some things about Joe Staten before, positive and negative, and this is definitely a positive. I'm not a huge fan of this particular costume. Uh, I preferred her costume she wore in the 90s, like in the Robin 3 miniseries, that kind of era. But um, but it's cool. I, nice entry. I love it. I love it. It's one of the last nods to Earth 2. And you're right. The, the surfboard is great. And did you notice there's like a little shadow of Batman yeah, down there yeah, too? Yeah, it's really nice. Very well-designed piece. Really, really Great nice. piece. Um, High Athos. Uh, Hawkman villain, re- drawn by Richard Howe and Dick Giordano. Uh, a pretty goofy-looking character, uh, and I don't think this entry is going to do anything to change that. Um, she's sort of doing a little bit of a Tina Turner jazzercise slash kind of thing there. We see her in the background, and she's, <laughs> she's, she's attacking. We don't need another <laughs> He has beyond Thunderdome. We see her attacking with some sea creatures. We see her... It would, it would, it, there's that one shot there of Hayathis pointing out of a doorway to Hawkman and Hawkgirl, and it looks like she's kicking them out of their apartment. That's well, she's it. kicking them out of their I know, I know. But it just kind of looks like, get out. I don't want to live with you. You know, she threw all their stuff out a window. It's just very unfortunate. <laughs> Hawkgirl looks very upset. Um, I like the color scheme, the, the sort of purpley and the orange. It's kind of a nice color scheme, but the character itself is just sort of very goofy looking. What bothers me is she has a lot more appearances in comics than she deserves. <laughs> like, you look her up, she appeared in a lot of comics, and she really doesn't deserve it. So, um, I'm just going to be mean. This is terrible art. Oh. Uh, it's a very complex history that, by the end, I stopped reading because I stopped caring. I really did. Um, 
And you don't get a sense for the character herself at all. All it is is she did this, she did this, she did this, she did this. You don't really get a sense for who she is. Uh, she first appeared in Justice League number three, so you're going way back. And she appeared as recently at this point as in the Hawkman Shadow Wars. She's been around. Mm-hmm. But this this is it's a wasted page. All right, all right. Uh, before it gets nasty. We especially want to well, get to the last page, which I know you're going to enjoy. Woo! The Hyena. Art by Raphael Kayanan and Bob Smith. Firestorm villain, Shag. Have a fun. Have a, have a, have fun. Hell to the yeah, my friends. Awesome hyena drawing. Ra- Raphael Kayan, of course, was drawing Firestorm at the time. Really nice face on hyena, just very savage. Now, interesting character. It's actually, even though it appears to be a guy, it's actually a girl. Her name is, wait for it, Summer Day. That's right. <laughs> and she, uh, you get a sense for who hyena is when you read this. When you read this, you get who the character is. It's really well done. It tells you all about how she tried to join the police academy to make her dad happy. She failed. Her dad was, you know, dishat and was unhappy with her. She was miserable. She went off and joined the Peace Corps. She gets bitten by this were hyena, comes back to I mean, you really get a sense for who Summer Day is and the struggle she's gone through in her life. Anyway, so she becomes a, a were hyena and talks about her battles with Firestorm and her you know her anger and stuff like that. So it's really nice, great drawing. The Sir Prince, um, a really nice image of her. The shots with Firestorm aren't quite as um, breathtaking, I could say, as the rest of it. I mean, it's fine. There's nothing wrong, per se, with it. But just I know Raphael Cannon is an awesome artist, and he, yeah, he probably, given more time, could have done some really nice stuff in the background. One of the interesting things I've always thought about this character in her first appearance, I really think they were intending for Hyena to be a costume because they had, like, specialized claws and stuff that they just totally ignored after her first appearance. So, anyway, that's just more my rambling. But nice entry, loving it. Firestorm Rogue that absolutely deserves uh, her, his own page. So, the only, nicely done. The only comment I'll make about it is that it has an intensity not seen in, in horror comics from DC for the most part because, I mean, you know, Pre during the comics code, DC's horror comics were pretty boring affairs. You know, I mean, there was no no there the va- there, yeah there were vampires and monsters, but they were pretty bland. This is, looks like a pretty intense looking werewolf type creature, something that would not have passed muster in a '60s horror comic. You know, yeah, that's I mean, a good point. You know, it, it's it it, re- it reflects the t- changing times. You could have a character that looked this scary uh, in a comic because, like I said, they could not have done a werewolf comic in the 60s that looked like as scary as this. So, And, you know, uh, the background image actually has Hyena really savagely gripping Firestorm. Firestorm sort of like falling backwards, right. and Hyena's definitely in command of that situation. Right. So, yeah. All right. Good way to end the Good book. Stuff. Great covers. Um, I know you generally skip over it, but I refuse to. I love the the last page where they always tell you where you can find the, these characters. But what a great set of series of covers. You know, the Outsiders with the Force of July. The Justice League is the Justice League Detroit getting kicked out by Dale Gunner. Douche. Crisis number 10. <laughs> All-Star Squadron fighting the Monster Society. Evil. Infinity Inc. You get the, the coming of our men and the new Dr. Midnight. Legion, you know, is a great sort of a new beginning cover for them. I just love this stuff. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Very nice. All right. We're going to move right on to feedback for our previous episode, which was, of course, volume nine of Who's Who. Um, the first thing we want to mention is we got a shout out from our pal Tim Wallace, who runs the cordindustries.blogspot, which is a Blue Beetle blog. He gave the show a shout-out on May 12th. Uh, he said, these guys have mentioned Cord Industries a few times already. Thanks, guys. So I'm probably overdue and returning the favor. And he mentions the Aquaman Shrine, the Firestorm fan, and then our podcast. So thanks very much, Tim. Uh, and it is, it's a fun blog. If you're a Blue Beetle fan, got to head over to cordindustries.blogspot.com. Absolutely. 
Uh, we heard from Carlos Muchas over on uh, or Mucha over on Aquaman Shrine. Uh, he big gave us a big shout out towards uh, the Global Guardians. Big fan of Global Guardians. Nice. Yes. Diablo Diablo Frank um, did his usual series of comments. Started with A, went through Z, got all the way to double uh, double F. So crazy. I'm just going to pick out a couple of quick ones here. He he picking on us, going color hold, color hold. Why is that so difficult? So he says he's done some research, though, and he says that Serpent is totally legitimate. Yay! So, yay, love that. Um, he, he, uh, last issue we talked about David Bedard, who wrote a letter, and uh, <laughs> David Bedard was a complete jerk, and he said, yep, you've uncovered me. I am, in fact, David Bedard. So uh, He said something I agree with. As a kid, I did not appreciate Brett Blevins on New Mutants, but I love his work now. Oh, wait, I don't agree with you anymore. I didn't appreciate him on New Mutants, and I still don't appreciate him on New Mutants. Anyway, he's, he's, got, he's got a bootleg Doctor Strange silkscreen of one of his covers over his desk, and he says, that Rita Farr is hot. <laughs> this cracks me up. I gotta say this. This is his bit about, um, Geoforce. The crown jewel, in quotes, the crown jewels of, Mar- of Markovian royal family are in my pants. <laughs> Keeping it highbrow as always. Thank you, Frank. Yep. <laughs> he loves the Global Guardians also. Uh, he says they never remotely realized potential, um, but had a great conceptual standpoint. So, uh, he also says, I generally agree with Rob's point, except these guys were less of a reflection of international heroic ideals and more a collection of cultural stereotypes that foreign readers roundly mocked. And he said the Justice League International ran them through the meat grinder early on with about a third of these guys getting killed in a single issue of Justice League Quarterly. Wow, that's sad. Yep. A lot of props over here to Russ Heath. Talks about Golden Glider was very much a why do you exist Bronze Age <laughs> thing. Love that. And uh, he, he said probably one of the most insightful things that's ever come out of Frank's fingers. I'm happy that Gorilla City exists but have never enjoyed a story set there. <laughs> it's an interesting it's observation. Perfect. Yeah. Perfectly sums that up. Um, now, here's something he pointed out that I need to go look up. We, we raved about George Freeman's uh, Golden Age Alan Scott drawing. Yes. says he apparently did the Secret Origins issue. I'm going to have yeah, to go Yeah, i got to find that. I, gotta, I used to buy that book. I don't remember that. I'm going to dig that up. He also summed up Hal Jordan quite well. Hal Jordan was my f- first favorite Green Lantern because of the Superpowers action figure. Exposure to the actual character as written diminished my interest substantially. <laughs> And then he became a murderer, so even more so. Crazy sauce. So, uh, and uh, he also, now we, we dished on uh, Guardian and that shield of his and the logo, and so, or I did, I should say. But he says he likes that uh, Guardian had his shield as a policeman's badge, which is what I was trying to say last time, and I couldn't figure out how to articulate it. Yes, his badge, uh, his shield looks like a policeman's badge. Uh, we got a comment from Siskoid, and just as an extensive comment on from Siskoid as Frank's on Firestorm fan. Again, we'll kind of trip hammer through some of these, some of my favorite ones. Gentleman Ghost, Cubert for the win, and a macabre subprint too. They missed a trick by giving him an actual eye and hair color in the personal data. There was room for a joke there. He can't have faced the Scooby gang because he's an actual ghost, not a fraud. <laughs> um, that's one thing I will say. Everyone in the feedback loved the, the uh, Gentleman Ghost drawing. Like that was, oh, everyone. Yeah, it was like universal winner there. Uh, Joe Cooper, take a bow. Um, <laughs> uh, Golden Glider, upskirt alert. Never could get beyond the hairstyle. Even if I did, she's still a weaponized figure skater. Gordanians, <laughs> ow, that Gordanian just shot me. Well, might as well take a break here at the halfway point to lick my wounds. Terrible. Granny Goodness. Like, I, oh, yeah. Uh, you, you're going to get it. Go for Granny it. Goodness. And we didn't know we needed Ed Asner voicing her on the WB cartoons until we got it. Brilliant. 
Um, Green Arrow. Tuska does a nice Jack Kirby Green Arrow, that's for sure. I'm all about boxing glove arrows, I am. <laughs> We're going to go back real quick on the Ghost Patrol. Uh, I talked about how when you die, you get cool uniforms. Uh, he said, actually, those are the uniforms they died in, uh, the French Foreign Legion suits. He says, but those cool patches came in the afterlife somehow. <laughs> I like his comment on Geoforce. He talks about Geoforce. He goes, Geoforce sucks, and it has always sucked and will always suck. He is, I believe, the root cause of the outsider's suckitude. <laughs> And one more thing, um, I mentioned General Amortis. There's this great shot in the surprint of General Amortis uh, shooting the chief. Well, uh, he points out that if you look back at the chief's entry, you see the same thing. Yes. It's sort of the, the mirror, which is nice. I missed that. Very nice. Um, Siskoid also puts in a vote for us to cover at some point Ambush Bug number three, which was their Who's Who episode uh, issue where they were covering like, the absolute dregs of the DC universe. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to do it. Yeah, I think to. so. I absolutely. I would, I would uh, enjoy that very much. Uh, uh, I was going to cover the Angie Ange ones real quick. Right. Our friend Angie runs the Supergirl blog. Um, says Green Lantern Corps. Boy, that Brian Boland is amazing. As mentioned, every one of those characters looks great, and the headshots are wonderful. This guy needs a praise be name or something on his tagline. He even makes the Crystal Green Lantern look good. Um, let's see. There's this debate going on at who's the hottest Legionnaire <laughs> amongst uh, who's who fans. It's fun. It's a blast. Now, I just want to specify something, guys, here. And maybe maybe they've changed the bet on me. I don't know. I I've always purported that apparition or um, Phantom Girl or Phantom wait Phantom Girl yeah Phantom Girl is the hottest Legionnaire. I want to be sure and explain that I'm not talking about her who's who entry. Everyone keeps going like oh wait till we get to her entry. I'm talking about just as a character she's the hottest. Now if we have to specify who has the hottest who's who entry, then I need to reevaluate my answer. Anyway, he says just look at Lightlass and, and this is talking about on Grimbor. Look at Lightlass in the Serpent and tell me again she isn't the hottest Legionnaire as either Lightlass or Lightning Glass. I cannot wait for the reviews of the L and P issues of Who's Who. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. Uh, got a comments from Little Russell Burbage from Elmond, Virginia. He comes on uh, talking about the cover. He said the cover was awesome, but he thinks Hal Jordan deserved to be on the front much more than Jack O'Lantern. And he, he points out something very interesting. We talked about that awesome drawing, Alan Scott. He says that there's a goof. He says Alan Scott is a lefty, and the art here, George For uh George Freeman drew <laughs> George him. George Foreman, that'd be awesome. I know, I was going to say it wrong. He said George Freeman drew him with the ring on the right hand. So, good call, good catch. Uh, he, he mentions uh, he went over to Firestorm Fan as well. He talked about Gentleman Ghost is the best illustration in this issue, followed closely by the GL Corps by Brian Bolin and Gorilla Grodva, Carmen, and Bill. I just love the actual hanging James Craddock down there. Shudder. And this is the only time I ever remember seeing his actual face. Awesome. Yep. He caught uh, a mistake on mine when I was talking about Green Arrow. Um, the exits, the Golden Age one, we saw him shooting a bow, and I couldn't tell if that was Ollie or Roy. He said it's, it's actually. Um, it's not Oliver teaching Roy, it's Quoag. He even gives me a pronunciation because he knows I'm a mess. It's Quoag teaching Oliver how to shoot. I probably still said it wrong. <laughs> I like this. Uh, he talks about Grimbor and Karma. I had said that had to be Dave Cockrum costume design because of the goofiness. But he says that's actually, uh, and he pointed out, it's actually a Mike Grell costume design. So, interesting. Very nice. And he gets into the hottest woman in the Legion vote. He says, the Legion was full of hot women and very handsome men. Can't we all just get along? And he votes for Dream Girl as most beautiful. Cisco <laughs> comes in here, and he, for clarification, I like this. He goes, I'm not sure there's a dispute as to who's the most beautiful Legionnaire, uh, little Russell. Only the hottest. 
Dreamgirl may be the most beautiful, just as opposed to Zero-Hour Violet might be the cutest, but hottest? We're still fighting over that, mm. because hotness is in the eye of the beholder. And then Russell Burge came back with a shot of Dawnstar, which was pretty hot, I have to say. But trying to say that she was the hottest, I still shoot that down, my friend. I came back and shared a few Phantom Girl pictures. <laughs> Uh, we got an email uh, or a message on Fireside Fan from Anthony Durso, a.k.a. The Toy Room. Uh, he also loves Gentleman Ghost. He says, like Rob, I first encountered Gentleman Jim Craddock via the Super Friends. Post-crisis, long post-crisis actually, they clarified that he was indeed a ghost and his death has ties to past incarnations of Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Nighthawk and Cinnamon, if I recall the story. You are correct, sir. All right. Uh, Gorilla City, the erroneous published account of the origin of Gorilla City featuring Green Lanterns from DC Superstars number 14 and written by Answer Man Bob Rosakis. Crazy. <laughs> I like his thing here about Gizmo. He says, attention Marv Wolfman, we get it. Gizmo's a genius, but does his last name have to beat us over the head with the fact? His last name is O-Genius. <laughs> I never noticed that. It spelled so funny. I never said it out loud. I like how he also talks about the, the David Bedard guy from the letters page. He says that, wow, uh, he talks about how he takes him to task, and he says, almost like some folks do after they listen to the Who's Who podcast. <laughs> nice. Best casting ever, Granny Goodness, a.k.a. B. Arthur. <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been good if they had ever done that. <laughs> and again, hottest Legionnaire debate goes on. He says, if we're to go by Who's Who pages... Which, again, we, I, we, we may have to do that. Uh, if we're going to go by who's who pages, then my all-time favorite Saturn, Saturn girl is out of the contest because that page in costume sucks. Bring on the pink bikini. Uh, we got an email from Luke Giaconetti, of course, we mentioned before. <laughs> Just Google Plus. You had me at Geoforce and Gentleman Ghost. That was, uh, yeah, he put out there in Google Plus. Yeah, yeah awesome. Gentleman Ghost. You have to love a Hawkman baddie being drawn by Joe Kubert. Although, despite the most common Hawkman villain who people think of nowadays, Cooper never worked on him in the Silver Age. Post-Crisis, Craddock is most definitely a ghost, and his origins were changed a little bit to have a strong connection with Hawkman Hawkwoman, as we just said earlier. His spectral state being related to their curse of reincarnation. Regarding the New 52, Gentleman Ghost did appear in a three-issue arc in Savage Hawkman. There you go, folks. Get it from the Hawkman blogger himself. There you go. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to bring up a couple. you got any more Jack, or, uh, Jack and Eddie, or you want me to? Let's, let's go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. He <Luke>. talks about. <laughs> yeah, we got to keep going. Uh, Philemon, we heard from him. He said he finally read his Kirby's Fourth World Omnibus. He says it's great stuff. And he says the Forever People is actually his favorite part of the epic. So now we know Philemon is boring. So. <laughs> uh, now, he, this is kind of long, but I'm going to do it real quick. He says, I also want to take issue with the notion that Who's Who could not work as a print comic today. Although I love the idea of an e-comic that directs you to places where you can buy appearances of old characters, I think what always made Who's Who distinct from other titles was that its entries were not designed to be complete retellings of the character's history. Who's Who, as the name implies, is the best answer to the question, who is Goldface? If I ask that, I don't want a blow-by-blow of every time the character appeared. I want a brief overview of that character's motivations, powers, etc. If the comics are done well, that sort of overview will not be as outdated as soon as it's printed. The problem with comics is that... Um the problem is with comics that to have huge reboots or do something major and uh, go on in every issue, not with a printed encyclopedia. So he says maybe he's a grumpy old comics fan, but he thinks it could work. And then he quoted Frank here talking about this is um, how he loves the comic because I appreciate a universe of characters being illustrated by a variety of artists that could have otherwise never come together. I find that most online resources are poorly written, unfocused, overly long, and favor contemporary interpretation. Printing references remain of its time a snapshot of its point of creation without the adulteration of later retcons, quality wins over relevance. And uh, again, Philemon comes back just saying that a thousand times this, Frank. I don't know that anyone's ever uttered those words mm. before. So, But he goes on saying you know, he thinks there's room for a print version. 
I agree. Fair argument. Absolutely. I love it. it, it I think, guys, your, your modern day is going to be your DC encyclopedia. That's going to be more fitting with what you're going to find nowadays and gives you a sense of the character. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from Jack Dower. Uh, of course we yeah, do. Yeah, he wastes the first paragraph talking about the Penguin again. Uh, oh! He, he compares Gentleman Ghost into Penguin. penguin. <laughs> uh, let me guess who he prefers. Gentleman Jim Craddock's original Oregon children from an upper crust English family. Ghost is my favorite Hawkman villain and ranks very high with me in general. Um, uh, there you right. go. Uh, he's, got his, he's got his traditional hard question here. You brought up the fact that Who's Who gave airtime to some of the lesser-known characters in the DC Universe. We all know they should have had a double-sized annual starring just Scavenger and Slipknot. True. But was there anyone else who you would have liked to see get more airtime? How, how about a forgotten character that you would have liked to have seen included? If you could include the artist, who would you have liked to see draw that and would be helpful? We're going to have to think on that, John. Well, I have an answer. I do have an answer for that one. Oh, it's, and okay. it's not an original answer because this, this actually comes up in Who's Who itself. Sugar and Spike. Sugar and Spike do not get a listing. They had their own book for 98 issues. 98. Drawn and written by the same person. All 98 issues. But um, they don't take place in the DC Universe. Who can, well, so what? What's the name of the comic? The definitive directory There's, of the DC watch, Universe. Not the definitive, not the definitive directory of DC. Shut up. Oh. You're wrong. Watchmen, <laughs> Watchmen is in Who's Who. It's still a superhero comic. But it's though. the. the no. Uh, oh, all right, fine. We'll go the other way. You're still wrong because Sugar and Spike appeared in Showcase number 100, being rescued by Dolphin, and appeared in Crisis. Did they really? Yes. You see, pic- you see pictures of them. You see someone watching a television, watching the news, and you see on top of the television two framed pictures of a boy and a girl, and it's Sugar and Spike. Oh, I remember that. That's true. Well, so there you go. They deserve. Look, any any two any character that had their own book for ninety eight issues deserves their own series. Deserves their own who's who listing, hands down. Sorry, DC, you should have done it. I'm sorry. I would like to extend a personal thank you to Jack Dower for getting Rob pissed off. I love it. Yeah, well, no, you got me pissed off. <laughs> whatever whatever it takes comment. to get you angry and yelling, that, I'm in favor. That does not take much. Uh, we got an email from Chris Franklin, otherwise known as Earth Two Chris. Uh, oh, really? That's his real name. I didn't know he had a last name. <laughs> yeah. Now we can find his address and go to his house and play with his play yeah. Well, he invited us. We don't have to sneak over That's there. That's true. He did. Um, he mentions, it's funny how you guys brought up folks having distinct memories tied to certain comics. This particular issue of Who's Who was hard for me to find. My usual comic source, Eastside Pharmacy, just up the street from my house, did not get this issue in. I know because after years of coming in to check on comics on New Comic Day, which I believe was Tuesday back then, the owner and clerks there finally caved and let me help them unbundle the comics as they checked off their invoice every week. Who's Who Volume 9 was nowhere to be found. This meant I had to hunt all over town at the few places that carried comics, as I didn't know of any comic shops within driving distance and had never set foot in one either way. After searching two other drugstores that carried comics, I was forced to check out Thrift Market. Thrift's comics and comics... Thrift's comic selection was spotty. And I always felt easy for you, easy for you to say. Yeah, really. And I always felt weird looking at them because they were right next to the softcore biker magazines. <laughs> with, Whoa. with my mom looking over my shoulder, I shuffled through the comics to find who's who. I had found it, but at a price. On the back of my comic, in greasy black marker, the word thrift was scrawled. I didn't have any choice. I had to buy it, and my dog-eared copy still bears the mark to this day. That's a great story. That's awesome. Now, folks, I just want to tell you, if you choose to write into us, we love all the comments. We really oh, do. Yeah. But stuff like that is just like gold to yeah. us. We love your origin story with Who's Who or special memories of Who's Who. 
please share that kind of stuff with us. I, I mean, that was an awesome story. I love yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. Um, and he said he sent us a ton of comments, all of which are really, really good. I just want to highlight one where I got something wrong. I suggested that the Earth Earth One Green Arrow's first appearance, which was listed as Avenger Comics two fifty, I suggested that it was picked just as at random because it wasn't Green Arrow's new origin. Uh, which to me is the clear demarcation point for those characters. But I got that wrong. And as Chris says, love the century. Love the 80s Green Arrow logo too. Adventure Comics number 250 was picked as the first appearance because that was Jack Kirby's first issue after G- G- Green Arrow co-creator George Papp stepped down to take over a Superboy assignment. Late, later in Kirby's brief run, he drew the new origin of Green Arrow, Adventure 256, so the choice is far from arbitrary. Absolutely, I totally got that one wrong. I made an assumption that was not correct. Thank you, Chris. That is that is the good detective work, my friend. Earth 2, Chris, always comes up with really great things that he figures out. You know, just you are a um, one of our definite historians for Who's Who. Great job. He, he, in fact, was the one who kind of pointed out the stuff about the Green Arrow uh, hair color debate. So. <laughs> debate. Is it, well, you know. Yeah. And I also, like he says, only Brian Bowling can make Chip look cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Grimbor's affiliation to the village people is, village people is left out. It cracked me up. <laughs> uh, we got it. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, just Sean Brock pointed something out. Uh, I accidentally called the Flowers and Fishnets blog. This is Sean Brock, Orrin's dad. The Flowers and Fishnets blog, which is a Black Canary blog, which our buddy Ryan Daly, Count Drunkula, runs. I actually called it, apparently, Flowers and Fishnuts. <laughs> a, few, a, f- a few people wrote in about this. <laughs> So, uh, sorry about that. Uh, Sean also has another vote for us covering Ambush Book number three. <laughs> um, he's one of the few people that likes The Outsiders, by the way. So, And he says, uh, Shag, you should really read the Omega, Omega Men. Not going to happen, dude. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> name, name your next son after a Firestorm character, and I might consider it. So, uh, There was some discussion regarding the whole half-page, whole-page, and the thoughts on some characters. Didn't deserve whole-page listing, especially when other popular characters only get half-pages. My thought was that the character in current books should get the love from DC, and is that we're trying to sell those books. The ones, in my opinion, who probably should have gotten the half-pages should have been the characters who hadn't been seen since the 40s or 50s, yet were included, like the Ghost Squad. While the listings are fun to read, I always felt like characters who were underused for 30 or 40 years should have been relegated to half-pages over characters in current books. Now, Sean, conceptually and from a marketing point of view, I totally agree with you, but i got to say some of my favorite stuff have been these really oddball drawings, mm-hmm. like Grim Ghosts, you know, who got a full page, who didn't deserve it, but by golly, I'm glad he Ghost did. Ghost Patrol, so, Pop Harrigan, you know. Again, from a marketing point of view, you're absolutely right, dude, but I just love this stuff. Uh, John Heaton on Facebook came out to speak in favor of Joe Staten, Staten um, and said he's doing some amazing-looking Dick Tracy work he right is. now. Awesome. He is. Heard from Bradley Nunn, and he said he just started Bradley listening Null. to Who's Who Pod. Bradley Null. I'm sorry, no. I always – sorry about that. He said, when I saw um, when I saw the cover I, of number nine, I remembered using this comic as a proof that there was that a Green Lan- there was a Green Lantern who came before Hal Jordan, meaning Alan Scott. This is the first comic book bet I ever won. I'm going to name check a couple people here because we're running out of time. Seriously, hardcore here. Um, who gave a shout outs on Twitter and stuff? Randy Caldwell, Speed Force, Jay Jones. We heard from Philemon again in Court Industries. Luke Jacanetti, Jimmy McGlinty. I want to say a couple quick things. He said he pointed out that the only time he ever saw the Who's Who pages were in United Kingdom reprints or in some of the pages in the annuals. So uh, he's really enjoying the podcast though. And he asked if they ever did a showcase reprint of uh, Who's Who, and unfortunately they promised it but have never done it. And I don't think there's really any chance of them doing it now. He also puts in a vote for an ambush buggy <laughs> Her- Heard from Keith G. Baker, who gave me some flack talking about how Jordan is the greatest Green Lantern ever, blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, heard from Keith W.T. Morris. He's calling Rob out on his, not, his dislike for the Legion. <laughs> Watch out. You're in trouble. Heard from Paul Bowler, Hector Negrete. Um, let's see. Uh, Lucien Dessar, uh, who, who <laughs> was freaked out about the whole um, John Jones bar soap thing. <laughs> Ken Homel, uh, Fluto Span, our buddy John Goodwin. Uh, heard again from Ange. Tony D., and uh, gave me some flack for saying that I thought Jack O'Lantern was originally supposed to be important in the old days. <laughs> and he says, "What's where are the Green Lanterns doing to Lady Godiva on the cover of Who's Who number nine with hashtag Watch Your Hands? <laughs> Surprised that wasn't Green Arrow doing that. Right. And finally, we heard from Jack, Luke Giaconetti again, uh, who said he has an idea. We have a hard time coming up with a tagline for this show. So he gave us a suggestion. We're going to go ahead and try and use it as we sign off here. We'll see how it goes. But, folks, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to the Who's Who podcast. We produce one of these a month, so we'll be cranking another one in about a month's time. Uh, you can check us out on our blogs over at AquamanShrine.com and also FirestormFan.com. You can find both of us on Facebook and Twitter at the same handles. Uh, you can find Firestorm Fan on Google Plus and uh, Tumblr as well. And Rob, where can they find the Who's Who Tumblr? Fire and Water Podcast.tumblr.com. Head out there, folks. You're going to find about 10 or 12 drawings from this Who's Who issue. So you can be sure to check out these awesome Hawk Woman and Hawk Girl drawings, which I promise you will be there. Yeah. And uh, uh, what am I forgetting, Rob? Uh, what? Oh, our email address. Yeah, yes. Fire. Water podcast at Comcast.net. And you should also go, of course, go visit In Stock Trades because this episode was brought to you by them. So thanks for that, guys. Yep. All right, let's give this a shot. Right. This comes from Luke Jack. This comes from Luke Jackanetti, folks. Here okay. we go. Coming up in the next issue, it's the letters I and J. Who says that? Who's who says that? We'll work on it. And the search continues. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, everyone. Y'all have a good night. Bye. Bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. Later, at the Hall of Justice, the Super Friends assemble for the most critical meeting of their careers. Wonder Woman and I agree, there's only one choice. Galloping goblins, you can't. He'll turn you into ghosts, too. It'll buy enough time for the rest of you to figure out how to defeat Gentleman Jim and restore the world leaders. Up, up, and away! 